time. Kick it off. <laughs> Hi. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever, whatever time it happens to be when you watch this. Um, we are here today with uh, Eric Maffey. And Eric is, um, uh, among other things, the video star of Ride Slow Take Take Pictures. Ride Slow Take Pictures? Is that what it is? Ride Slow Take, take photos. photos. Take photos. Ride Slow Take Photos. Yeah, even though even though on his podcast, you might know him from the large format uh, photography podcast. They just had a discussion about how we don't we shouldn't be talking about taking and shooting. I was just listening to that. Um, I don't know. 20 minutes ago or so. Um, anyway, uh, Eric is with us to talk about making lenses um, and other fun stuff. But before we get into that, Eric, comma, comma. you hail from uh, Wisconsin, but are now a Bay Area resident. Yeah, and that's not a... Green Bay area resident. You're you're from Green Bay, aren't you? Originally. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, originally so I was born and raised in Mad just outside of Madison in a tiny little oh. town called Mount Horeb, which is known oh, as the garden garden gnome capital of the world, and also, sadly, now the former home of the Mustard Museum. The guy moved his mustard uh, collection somewhere else. How far from the Dells are you? Yeah, how far exactly. From how far from the Wisconsin Dells were you when you were growing up? Oh, we never, yeah, hour and a half. We never went, so I oh, don't have oh, a, okay. a, we had to go to the Dells until I was a teenager. Like, that's like the high school. Well, thing. that's when you should go to the Dells, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Like, for um, us, it was a big trip to get into Madison on the weekends for the farmer's market at the Capitol. Oh, yeah. And that felt like yeah. forever as, like, a six-year-old I, kid. Or I have whatever. a cousin who sells or sold. I'm not sure she's still doing it goat cheese at the farmer's market so maybe you bought goat cheese from her probably not my dad not 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 back then no no i did love the farmer's I market I, you might have yeah oh I, well okay there we go okay let's uh let's get back on it so you are now in the bay <laughs> area yep. um how did you get from the land of cheese to the land of fog uh by a few other steps. Programming. Um, yeah. No, actually, no. I came out for, and this this is a way back machine moment. This might sadly age me, but no more than the pandemic has, I guess. But I came out here for the Googlers Prepare, um, the 24 Hours in Cyberspace project. It was the very first worldwide webcast and also oh. a photojournalism webcast run by a guy named Rick Smolin. If you remember back in the day, the, the books, the uh, Day in the Life of books? Yeah, Day sure. Life, that was Rick's, Rick's jam. Okay. Like, like, uh, he was, still is, I think, but mostly he was like trying to be a photographer, photojournalist, whatever. And he sort of struck on this idea to do these 24 hour, these Day in the Life of books. And it was a good way to sort of like do a series of books, do these projects and kind of cash in and just have a thing to do. So the internet came around and, and he decided, oh, this would be interesting to try to do a live broadcast of photographs of the internet and the impact of the internet over the course of 24 hours. Yeah. So um, I came out here for that to intern on it. I was just wrapping up my photojournalism sort of schooling at RIT and uh, RIT was pretty heavily involved in it. So 
I came out for that, and then I stayed on pretty much, uh, and um, to work on the book and learn how to do stuff on the website. And then I just stayed out here doing uh, website stuff because the photo industry in the '90s did not pay. Sh pardon me, I'm editing. You can you, know. you can say those words on our podcast. Yeah. Like I had done six months so at Magnum, I, I New York, and yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I just thought it was a little odd that you drove all the way across the country to be on a webcast. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had like some decent experience. I'd worked at Magnum New York and, and I was sort of at the top of my, my photo brain game, but nobody, like I went to, to talk to Mother Jones because Mother Jones, you know, they, they did and they still do at the time, like really good photojournalism and stories and they hire really good photographers to do it. But they're like, yeah, that's great. We'd love to have you on. When can you start? Oh, cool. No, this isn't paid. Yeah. You know, and I was like, I, I have bills. I have to pay rent, you know, like I got to earn a living. So I stayed I on think, and did web stuff. I think that for um, commercial purposes, the, probably the least respected um profession is photographer because at some point everybody's grandmother will take a picture that is worthy of putting over the couch the problem is the difference is that a professional has to do it every day multiple times a day mm -hmm. and they have to nail it every time but everybody thinks well oh i got a dslr i can shoot it so um yeah so yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that's even more so now, right? Because everybody right? has like the phone that'll take a pretty, a really pretty picture that uh, right. will look really good on screen. Mm -hmm. um, and phone quality is getting better. So it might even make an, a nice five by seven, even like a, a pretty good eight by 10 print for most people mm -hmm. of that sunset from, and you, you know, wherever. Well, and there are literally now billions of unpaid distributed journalists and all the most important video is shot by kids and grandmothers so yeah, yeah. although the, the counter to that is um like when i think it was the chicago tribune or the chicago sometimes one of the big chicago dailies yeah. like they fired yeah. all their photographers and yeah. um just had like equipped their their reporters with iphone 10s at the time i think and the, the images were just complete junk like they were just yep. they were junk even at newsprint quality, which is 72 DPI, it's like newsprint is just really not the highest resolution. Um, actually, newsprint like 150. Anyways, like there was just junk, you know, and, and they learned very quickly that you really do need to have people with not just a good eye, but good talent to handle a new situation, like to take a good portrait, to right. photograph a riot, to do investigative right journalism. Time. Yeah, right. like you can't just take your phone. Like you, you actually have to have some talent to do something other than a terrible snapshot. Um, right. I mean, it's too late for those photographers who got canned, um, including like, as I recall, like a Pulitzer Prize winning, like groundbreaking, um, one of the first groundbreaking like black photographers in Daily News was one of those staffers. He was a freaking legend. Like, and he got canned and it's just like soulless corporate bullshit. Not that I have opinions on this, but I might have opinions <laughs> on this. Um, you know, so it's, sure. no, it's know. absolutely, it's absolutely true. My dad carried a camera on his first newspaper job, you know, and 
fortunately, it only he only had three or four exposures worth of film with him, so didn't distract him too much. But as soon as he was promoted, they gave him a photographer. You know, mm-hmm. he was able to pay attention to the interview and not have to think about getting the shot. Right. So you uh, you head out to San Francisco. You kind of stick around. You okay? So you started out in photography. You started yeah, out yeah. studying photography. You're a, you're a photojournalist. Yeah, you're, or I was, or as, I don't know what the hell I am. You're trained know. as you studied yes. photojournalism. Fair. Okay, there yeah. we go. So um, where let let's back up um, to your time um, dunking your SRT 101 in the Wisconsin Dells because you weren't paying attention. Wait, okay, so when did you uh, first pick up a camera? What was your um, what was your introduction? I was a Who, junior. I gave school. you the first hit. My mom. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why she did. To this day, I think. I think I asked her once, and she just said, "I thought you'd find it interesting." But uh-huh. she had um, a Pentax K1000. It's okay. still in their house, you know. Which, in my memory, feels like a small camera, you know. Yeah. But I've picked it up recently. I'm like, God damn, this thing is a yeah. tank. Like, right. K1000s are not small cameras. So she had a, a Pentax K1000 with a couple lenses and I, I think maybe a flash. And mm-hmm. she, uh, she called me into my folks, into their room, which is, you know, where they, where she had the camera. And she pulled it out and said, okay, this is a camera. This is how you focus the little needle on the side, get it in the middle, mm-hmm. go for it. Um, and that's, that's where it started. I started shooting. And how old were you? I think it was, I can't remember, I think it was a junior in high school. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I started taking photographs for the uh, for the yearbook. Yeah. Um, okay, so so you were you were hooked at that point, right? Yeah, because I had when we moved up to Green Bay from Madison, there were two guys, Jesse Lindo and Michael Holden. They were thick as thieves. They sat in front of me in my first classroom, uh-huh. and uh, and I was like, these two cats are so cool. And they, they drew, they were really, really good drawers. Like they'd draw stuff and they'd sell stuff. Jesse already at that age had the hustle. He mm-hmm. still has the hustle. He's still a friend of mine. And I so badly kind of wanted to be more like those two cats, you know? Um, so I tried to draw and I couldn't draw. Mm-hmm. Like I could not draw what I, what I saw to the degree I wanted to. It really frustrated me. Uh, but once I picked up the camera, I was like, oh, I I don't have to draw. I can use this thing and, and get it this way. And honestly, without the work of learning how to draw, like maybe it was just a shortcut. Little did I know, I was just introduced myself to a hell of a lot more work than, than, than drawing, possibly. Um, well, you know, you know what they say about shortcuts. It's <laughs> always the long way to get there. It, it is. takes years to learn how to draw, but but you still, at the end of it, just need a piece of paper and a pencil. That's true. <laughs> yeah, or a, a stick that's been burned, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay, so, and why photojournalism? Why didn't you go fine art? What was the photojournalism aspect of that? Um, that's a really good question. I, don't, I think growing up in, in, like, Green Bay, Wisconsin, fine art... Uh-huh. didn't exist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right? You know what I mean? Um, studio photography didn't exist. I don't think, like, advertising photography or product photography or those are more commercial outlets. I really, like, register them as, as a thing. You know what I mean? But 
you know, at football games or out around, like you'd see the newspaper photographers at the sidelines. Okay. Like you'd sure. see that was the most uh, in your, not say in your face, but the most like immediate example of mm-hmm. besides like the, the photographers around town who took high school portraits. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, those are the most immediate example of, of photographers. And, I, and, and it actually, um, you know, the, the woman who took my high school portrait also became a good friend. She's immensely talented, really, really great. Um, and she and I struck it off immediately. So in retrospect, I probably could have interned or worked with her and, and taken up studio and portrait photography because she was crazy good and really successful and just a gem of a person. Um, so I, I guess I can't say that the only in-your-face example was photojournalists, but maybe it was just the most exciting thing. Um, right. And then the second part of that is, you know, my folks were always really active in, like, volunteerism and nonprofit work. So, like, my mom sat on the board. My mom uh, was uh, an executive in a local, actually a national insurance carrier at the time based in Green Bay. And so she was on boards, like the Big Brothers Big Sisters, Green Bay Symphony Orchestra, uh, Green Bay Community Foundation Fund, um, Breast Cancer Family Foundation. Like mom was always doing board work, doing volunteer work, running events. And uh, my pops was always just rolling his sleeves up and if something needed to happen, my dad was gonna do it. Like we started playing soccer, dad was scheduling the soccer league. We joined Drum Bugle Corps, dad was on the road with the Drum Bugle Corps. You know, mm-hmm. some family needed food for a week around Christmas. Dad was fucking cooking for a family for food for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that example, you know, I, I guess I started wanting to tilt a more at windmills, I guess. And mm-hmm. photojournalism is, is uh, theoretically a vocation that you can have an impact on the world that's for the better. Right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Theoretically, at least. Right. Yeah. So. You, you, if you think of the, you know, some of the photographs uh, that came out of Vietnam that oh, yeah, changed, changed Americans' attitude towards that war. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Eddie um, Adams, man. He's still running his workshop. Yeah. There we go. Um. So, okay, so you, you, let's fast forward. You go to San Francisco, you start working in the web industry. Mm-hmm. And um, so what, were you shooting all along or were you, um, yeah, what brought you back? I stopped shooting for a while uh, in San Francisco. I think when I really start shooting again. I mean, I shot a little bit in San Francisco. Um, maybe the first three or four years, but I stopped for a while. My twenties, you know, mid late twenties. You, you find other things to occupy yourself. I found bicycles, mm-hmm. um, girls, mm-hmm. alcohol. <laughs> you know, living in San Francisco. Uh, right. Yeah. I was. I, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm really. That- I'm really yeah, I'm gonna say the same thing happened to me, and I really regret not using my camera more because that was probably some of the most colorful. Oh, photographic yeah. material I ever forgot to take pictures of. Yeah, yeah, I have some old roles I should really uh, develop. <laughs> Stand develop two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so you um, uh, what what brought you back? 
Uh, there was a little stint there where I, I got back into motorcycle photojournalism. I was working in motorcycle shops. I took a break from, from web development and like technology in general and just worked in motorcycle shops for a couple of years, raced motorcycles. Spent what's, most of my... what's your bike? What's, what's your everyday rider? I don't have one anymore. What um, was your everyday rider? I don't have one anymore either. I had, a, at the end, I had a couple of really fun ones. I had a, 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 a mid-80s Yamaha TT600 Enduro that I've been converted over with a street plate. Okay. And um, Honda CBR 600 oh. wheels. Like the oh, original, okay. No, the, the original one. C, not yeah, the, the big original CBR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So it was like a, a total, like, torque, pull your arms out. Yeah. Mad Max Street Supermono. See, I had you pegged as a Ducati it was, guy. It was it was not. <laughs> no man, it, it, Ducatis. They're like I'll say this tongue in cheek because we used to say this in the motorcycle industry, and I can also say this about certain like a, a lot of stuff from Italy. They're really expensive. They're beautiful, and they're deucedly hard to maintain. Yeah, just like well, some Italians I know. Um, so. Uh, but they, so I was in the motorcycle industry and some friends of mine started up a new, uh, weekly publication in San Francisco called SF, uh, street moto, street moto. Um, so I picked up cameras and started shooting. I went and I photographed the Bull Dior, the 24 hour endurance race in France, uh, because a couple of San Francisco locals were like AMA national race regulars had raced the Isle of Man many, many times. Uh, for the readers, the Isle of Man is one of the most insane motorcycle races on the planet. People, people die on the regular. Oh, yes. And oh, yes. They're, they're spinning around it's, an it's informal a, wall at yeah. 180. So context, it's a motorcycle race that races around the perimeter, the periphery, the perimeter of the Isle of Man. Yeah, and it's like they're brushing shoulders on on brick road, on brick fences, and like yeah. taking jumps over hills, and it's just it's just nuts. Like it's and the, the sidecar guys on that are oh, they're, they're crazy. Um, yeah. So two two San Francisco locals um, who raced the aisle many times and met a lot of British guys over there got invited to race on Ralph's uh, endurance team. Ralph is this okay. old British guy. He might have passed. Uh, a fixture on the world super on the world endurance scene always oh. runs a British team and so he invited uh, the, the two Craigs over to race with him on the Bull Dior on a big ZX10 a big leader mm -hmm. bike um, at the time like the US was in the Iraqi war like it was just you know the US was hated and I remember like during the national anthem they play the national anthem for every country that has a racer and they they go through they played God Save the Queen the French boot the shit out of them Right, and you know the Brits are nonplussed; they're used to it. Yeah. And then they start to play the Star Spangled, <laughs> and and they the the Brit guys, which is the entire team, were, were ecstatic because like, oh man, someone's gonna get booed more than us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sure enough, man, the the French booed the shit out of that anthem. Um, but I photographed that. That was a really fun experience. Um, the French are crazy. And yeah. Um, took a little break for a while, and then I I started what doing. This? What 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 time frame were we talking here? This would have been two thousand and. Oh well, five. If, if, if okay, yeah, I was going to say if it's, the, if it's the first Iraq War, isn't it two thousand one? No, it was it was it was the second. It was like it was okay. after, uh, it was like two thousand four, two thousand five. I'd have to go back and and look it up and see when. Yeah. 
by the dates. Um, and then I started doing bicycle, long bicycle trips. Um, I raced the Tour Divide, and um, which is a 2,500 mile, 2,700 mile solo bicycle race from Banff, Canada, the U.S.-Mexico border. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm not bright. Let's just let's just like put this out there straight up. Like yeah, you're going to discover, I'm not particularly bright. Start um, in snow, end at 115 degrees. Yeah, actually, <laughs> that that year, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd previously done it on a motorcycle a mm -hmm. few years prior. I I did it solo in five days flat from border to border on an XR 600R um, as a cancer fundraiser. Most of the stuff I've done is a, a fundraiser of some kind. Uh -huh. uh, back to windmill tilting. So I, I felt like I should go back and do it on a bicycle because I kind of felt like I cheated on the motorcycle. I mean, it wasn't easy. Don't get me don't get me wrong. It was not easy on the motorcycle, um, but the bicycle was just. A, something I, I felt I should go back and try to do. So I, I picked up cameras then because you're riding these beautiful t areas. I mean, just stunning, right. stunning places. Um, and I just, I picked up cameras again then, digital, and then did a trip from Crescent City down to San Francisco, down the lost coast of California. Okay. With uh, one of my best friends, and then a guy who became one of my best friends through that trip. And I took a film camera and a digital camera, mm -hmm. two digital, two film cameras and a digital. And after that trip, I was I was going through the film and I was going through the digital, and two things struck me. One is that I you couldn't get the digital and the film to really work together. Like the images were just so different. Mm -hmm. um, and two, I just liked the film more. I like the film so much more than the digital. And it was a nice little digital. It was a little uh, Canon S ninety which is one of my favorite ultra compact digitals. Like the thing, those things are genius. Those S90s, 100s, 105s. Right. Fucking fantastic little travel cameras. They're the size of a wallet. Yeah, and you can one hand them. And with that front control dial on a bike when yeah. you're riding, yeah. you just pull it out of the bag, spin it to where you need it, shoot it. They're brilliant. And with a metal body, they can take a little bit of a beating. Um, those, those cameras are genius, honestly. So, so I, can I, can I introduce, ask yeah. you why you couldn't get film? and digital to work together because that's something I work on all the time and I feel like it, it can work. I'm uh, I, it probably can um, with like the right filters and the right fucking around and the presets and like finding a recipe like, okay, I just shot whatever film. I think at the time I was shooting uh, the, the super bright poppy consumer like Fuji 400, um, Real, like Riala, I think it is. Um, the stuff you, essentially the stuff you get in Walmart or CVS at the time, um, which I like. I like those. I like those contrasts. Some people hate it, but I was like, I like the semi-cartoony C forty one film that, that Fuji made. Um, so I'm sure with the right Lightroom filters to introduce the right grain and the right sort of contrast or whatever, you could do it. But at the time, I personally wasn't really that into dicking around in Lightroom to try to match it. And, and you, you also apparently felt that they should match and that yeah. there wouldn't be a way yes. to, to make two separate streams of visual imagery in here. Exactly, exactly. They're, they're I two think there different. is a way to do that. And you kind of do it now because your work now combines very old-fashioned photography and, vid and modern videography. And it's, there, I think there's a way to make it work. I, I think there's a way to make it work. Although, to be honest, like, I don't really. Editorially, yes, editorially. I mean, at the time I was publishing my stuff on exposure. Um, so it was just like images and whatever. 
Um, but like from a clarification standpoint, like I don't do video, like the ride slow take photos. I'm just weird to say, I'm just a subject. I had nothing to do with the production of that movie, the direction of that movie. You're the star, baby. I was nothing besides just the subjects. Like I had no control over nothing anything. Nothing but the star of the film. <laughs> Jackass. <laughs> Don't worry about me. I'm just like the Brad Pitt. No, it's actually, I, you you owe me. Brad Pitt you owe me drinks for the camera. I've uh, I've actually seen that movie, and I think that the star of the show is Jackass. Wayne Martin Belger. So yeah, well, true, <laughs> true. Like, dude, I've got to compete with that guy right now. I'm not gonna say compete, right? but like, I've got a. I'm building a lens for a camera he's making. So like the lens has got to roll with a Wayne camera and that he hasn't even started. So I'm like, oh God, we, like, you know, here we go. I have a lens going on a Wayne camera. God. But that but that releases you from having to make it work with his. He's got to make the camera work with your lens. That's so, that's true. That's, that's true. Not, that is true. But it's but but it's gonna be gorgeous. Like it's gonna be it's gonna be a Wayne Martin Belgian camera. It's gonna be completely off the hook. It's gonna be just bonkers. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure we'll get him on. You can get him on to talk yeah. about it when it's done. Yeah. Okay. So you at some point pick up now, is it a baby speed graphic that you have? Or is it a regular four by five speed? Graphic? It's actually it's it's the idiot cousin of both that it's everybody hates. Four by three? It's the three point two five by four point two five. Okay. The total accident purchase. Like we were coming back from camping and uh -huh. I was like looking to get I'd already shot um I was looking to get four by five. I was prepping for Route 66 where I wanted to bring a four by five, um, which I later did with a travel wide. Um, and I was just perusing Craigslist and ended up finding like way north of here because we we're, were camping north of here, like a Craigslist listing that first speed graphic. Yes. Um, so, that some dude um, who clears out storage units for a living had found clearing out a storage unit. And he thought it was a four by five. And so we stopped yeah. in a Starbucks parking lot and met him in Santa Rosa, like way north of here on the way home. And I heard they grabbed it and I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, it's, it's pretty clean. It's relatively good. Like this shutter, I don't really know how these shutters work, but they seem to work. Okay, cool. It looks to be four by five size. Got home, the four by five film holders I bought didn't fit anywhere close. And I was like, son of a bitch, this yeah. isn't a four by five. What the hell size is this? Yeah. There's no uh, film for this. Yeah. <laughs> Nick has a um uh, a baby speed graphic that I got essentially the exact same way. Um and uh yeah. Um yeah. so well, this, so mine oh, mine was sent mine was sent to me by KEH by mistake. I actually I, I, <laughs> I ordered and paid for a baby speed graphic and they sent me that. And I thought, well, four by three. it's really nice. Like, it's perfect. Nobody's used this in 100 years. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> not, yeah. not 100 years, but 60 anyway. Yeah, yeah. at least 60, 70. Yeah, and, and they actually turn out to be one of the coolest of the Graflex cameras once you figure out how to adapt to a 4x5 holder. Because yeah. they, are, they, have, they have a bellows as long as a 4x5, but they're more compact. Do you have... Um... So they're nice to use. You have the Graflex back on that, or is it the spring back? No, I have a back made by um, our friend. Twenty century camera, Washington. Okay. Yeah, and it it centers a four by five Graflex holder on the lens circle, and it uses the existing screws and hardware, so you don't modify the camera in any okay. way. Okay, so, so it'll even work with the old school spring backs, right? 
Mm -hmm. Okay. It it will, but I'm using it with four by five roll film holders and medium format lenses. Got it. Um, so it's it's a, it's really a great uh, like field camera for medium format. Okay. I I think buying the wrong size speed graphic is a rite of passage. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> dude. Yeah. Uh, so so I don't think that that's so it. Uh, I'm uh, I'm working working a little bit forward now. It came with a lens, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, came with, came with a classic Ektar one twenty seven four seven. Excellent. I've got one of those as well. But you, at some point along the line, decided that you needed to make your own. So, yeah. what kind of fever dream was that? And <laughs> we're, you know. <laughs> It was it was a fever dream born of anger and and frankly poverty. Um, uh -huh. I'd done Route sixty six, and uh, Route sixty six is amazing, by the way, on a bicycle or by car. Um, and I was like, well, this is was pretty cool. What's old in Route sixty six? Like, I, it sort of started a fascination with these old transit routes. Like, how is a country really created? It's created right. by how. It, uh, the transit routes, right? Sure. So it's either on a river or it's where the railroad came. Exactly. Right. Like it's, it's water spot or, to water spot through the desert. Right. As or, I found or, with, with Butterfield Overland Mail Route, like it goes way the hell out of the way of what we consider how to be the modern route to Phoenix from Yuma because they went up to the wells to get water. Right. So they didn't do the straight shot from Yuma to Phoenix. They went up way the heck over and then back down to Phoenix because of water. Sure. Sure, um, and and today we do that with whether or not the town's on the interstate highway, right? Well, if actually, it's on the interstate it grows, and if it's not, it doesn't. Exactly, and with Route sixty six, um, it was interesting because a lot of them were totally segueing away from lenses, but we do that. Uh, yeah. Like Route sixty six was fascinating because there's a ton of little towns that Route sixty six went through that prospered and were like these because Route sixty six, like the the journey was the destination. Well, you weren't getting to Chicago. It was what was between LA and Chicago. That was interesting. Sure. Uh, it was the experience of it versus now we just, we fly. We, we just, we want to be dropped into experiences. We want to get on a plane, come here and be dropped into an experience, get on a plane and be dropped back home. We don't really want to see what's between A and B anymore. So, um, but yeah, Route 66, like the, the new interstate would be literally a quarter or half a mile away from the downtown of these little towns, right? Mm -hmm. And some, some smart person would put in a gas station a cheap-ass motel, motel, motel eight, uh, and a Subway sandwich. Yeah. And the downtowns died. Those little towns died. They're gone. They're ruins. There's barely anybody I mean, there's, there. There's just a string of that cutting right through New Mexico. Right? You yeah. can see some of them because I-40 came in, uh, you know, in some cases 200 feet to the south or north of uh, Route 66, and you pass yeah. by these towns, there's not even an exit, and it's just like, Empty house, empty house, abandoned gas station, yeah. uh, abandoned uh, hotel or hamburger stand, yeah, and then you're like back through yeah. the desert for a hundred miles. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I live in a town um, that um, decided that they did not want the interstate coming through, um, and it killed the downtown. Absolutely yeah. killed it. You know, because the interstate's now twenty five miles east of here. Yeah, and um, my wife's grandfather was on the commission that interviewed people, you know, business people. Do you want the interstate coming through here? Because it could have followed. We're, we're on a, 
U.S. Highway or you know uh, U.S. Highway 17, okay. and it could have could have followed that uh, and gone right through town. Yeah, but it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna bring you the opera, man. It was gonna bring you some motels and some diners. I mean, so yeah. Was, well, but yeah. it also yeah, it, but it also would have passed probably close enough to the downtown area to keep it alive. Yeah, you know, versus which, dropping yeah so that's an interesting point, though. Yeah. I, I've been visiting much more remote uh, towns that have suffered the same fate without anything to do with transit. And, and mm -hmm. for instance, in a lot of agricultural areas, it's modern, super high-tech tractors that have replaced yeah. 50 people's jobs. You know, mm -hmm. I, I yeah. met a guy, he and his, his son and one helper uh, manage a 5,000-acre dry wheat farm. Two guys wow. do all the labor. Yeah. Two guys and two massive John Deere tractors that are basically have artificial intelligence built into them. And, yeah. and 100 years ago, that but would have uh, been 160 acres that they could have done. So yeah, that. Actually, this guy had been there for generations, and all the machinery that they had discarded was in one big pile. And it went all the way back to the old wooden-built combines, which took, you know, big teams of itinerant labor to manage and so what you saw was empty houses scattered everywhere yeah um because they just don't need people anymore in that part yeah of the world. yeah at least for that crop i mean there are some crops that still require until for now at least like some level of care for not hand for picking long. not for long you know things you know, like there um, are robots that can do lettuce now yeah i would say lettuce uh melons things that are really difficult strawberries that are really difficult to pick without bruising or messing up yeah. Uh, but even then, you know, like what I found when I rode through Central Valley and a bunch of other places, you know, and talked to some ranchers and yeah. and people who started in high school picking those fields, you know, um, another hot topic in, in America is like, who's going to do the, who's going to do that backbreaking labor? American kids aren't going to do that backbreaking labor. Immigrants yeah. can do that backbreaking labor, right? right? They're not here to steal your jobs. No American kid's going to do that job. Ever. Okay, I'm definitely not anti-immigration, but I think it remains yeah. to be pointed out that uh, people don't do those jobs because those jobs don't pay. But if actually they do, they do. When I rode through there, they're advertising fifteen to eighteen dollars an hour to pick those fields. Yeah, but like, if people don't want to do those jobs at fifteen or eighteen dollars an hour. Maybe those jobs yeah. are underpriced. You know, well, that's maybe, fair. maybe that's that fair. should be a fifty thousand dollar job. You know? But it's yeah. also for three weeks, and no, it's, well, yeah, and then they have to move on. That's the, that's part of the problem. Well, so it's like a it's like a it's like a seasonal six to nine. Like like the the housing that I photographed down at Weed Patch Camp, and boy, are we like not going anywhere close to cameras right now? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that that housing unit uh, that the the local county runs, which is where. Um, the Grapes of Wrath was actually in the real world set weed patch camp where the Okies ended up. There's still housing there for, for migrant labor. It's open, I think, eight months a year. Yeah. Um, and the same families come generationally, year after year after year, generation after generation. Like the kids that were there as kids are now adults there with their kids. It's, it's a generational thing. It's what they do. And then they go back to where they came from and they... They live on those earnings for four or five months, and then they come back and they do it again. And they see it as, as, as an on, honest work and a, and a genuine thing to do, you know? And they're not wrong. I think there's a range of 
I think there's a range of occupations. So there's a lot of itinerant uh, work in, in Washington State, but there's also a lot of permanent residents of Mexican mm -hmm. descent who, you know, put their kids through high school there. And yeah. th there's just a lot of different levels of occupation. Right. It's not a one, one size fits all. Kind yeah, of totally. But um, so handmade lenses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I so, remember the question. I was looking so, at doing, I was looking at doing the Pony Express. Okay. Right, because that's older than Route 66. Uh, uh, so I started playing around with the idea of, of using uh, equipment or lenses of the vintage um, and looking at old brass lenses, you know, because you, you get, the, if you can photograph the Pony Express, 1800s, you're looking at beautiful brass lenses. Oh, yeah, yeah um, sure. But then we got hit with the rent increase, and I had like 25 to $50 a month tops to spend on all photography, including film, going to Looking Glass to develop it, film, supplies, anything i had no money at all um yeah but those lens designs seemed so simple right they're just like two chunks of glass and a tube what could go wrong a lot could go wrong pro tip um so i i started i started poking around um found uh i believe it was um not on instagram one of one of the photograph photographic social media networks, um, a DIY lens group, uh -huh. and like the the guru of that group put up that formula that that grant that you grabbed yeah. that Ethan hates because it uses the term back focal length. Anyways, and <laughs> that's not why I hate it. I think it's it's uh, it's accurate, but it is too many variables that you oh, can set yeah. starting point. Simplify. It is a it's, starting point. No, no, no. It's, 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 it's like the ending point. It makes, it, it allows you to make way more complex lenses than I would ever deal mm -hmm. with. I would simplify with symmetry uh, to make it much simpler, but okay. It is, I don't have like a, okay. Uh, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> okay. I poked so, the bear. Sorry, Ethan. Sorry, brother. So for those... For those of you who are um, uh, listening and driving, um, we'll have this in the show notes. Um, but uh, the little formula um, is here. Hang on a second. Is right here. It is. It's available um, as a an oh, open Google Doc. Cheater. Um, and formula. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, for instance, in fact, actually, this 105-105 lens separation 6 mm -hmm. is this uh, is a lens that I've got um, uh, right there. So, Shorty. Um, hey, Ethan, do you have this up on the screen so everybody can see the that I'm screen sharing? I don't think he, I don't yeah. think he does yet, but. Um, uh, it, it, what this is, is this is an, a formula for a two-element or a two-unit, um, what am I trying to say? Yeah, a two-element, uh, two, two-group two lens. Um, so there's a front lens, a back lens, the separation, and these are just simply focal lengths. And then um, as you separate them... Front lens, back lens separation yeah and so a focal length um this is the the focal length of the lens and then it also calculates the back focal length which is how far away from the imaging um 
uh, medium it it needs to be. So if I change one of the elements, this separation now, right now this is a with two 105 elements, it's a 54 millimeter lens that the back lens needs. Um, oops, the audio dropped out here. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> okay, sorry about that, guys. We had a little bit of uh, technical difficulty yeah. on my end. I was fiddling around with OBS when I should not have been. But okay, okay. We're, and we're so back. We might have lost some. Okay. We lost uh, like uh, thirty-five seconds. Okay. But thank so, you, Dale Willits, for pointing that out. I appreciate that. Oh, thanks, Dale. Yeah. Hey, Dale. Um. Okay. So, uh, so you started thinking I. What, what was wrong with the 127 XR? Well, you know, again, I was looking for something that was maybe more period, right? Oh, yeah, and, right, right. And okay. I, I tend to, to go down intellectual rabbit holes a little bit. But regardless of, of, my, of my talent or my ability to actually execute, I'm going to at least dive in there and sort of, and sort of look and see what I have. Or I, would, I would say that that and, is your superpower, for sure. <laughs> rabbit holes yeah yeah probably um, <laughs> rabbit and, and, rabbit and, man and, and, and rabbit homes um, no, but just just and curiosity honestly, like, that uh leads yeah. you down some ridiculous path right? where, <laughs> un, where you probably like have a have a pain in your head until you can figure something out yeah um it's it's both like an achilles heel and it's um you know it has led you to figure some things out that really none of us have you know which is amazing. Well, no, I, and, and I don't think well, basically when you when you when you encounter a small cake that has a label that says "Eat me," you eat the cake. I eat the cake, and then I try to figure out if I could also make that cake. And typically, I can't. But you know, it's interesting trying to figure out if I can. Um, I mean, to the very first thing I tried to do with with that formula and shit, I completely did the math wrong. Like, completely did it wrong. I completely foobarred it. Ordered stuff just wrong. I ordered a pair of ninety millimeters. And of course, on a four by five, that's not going to work. You know, it makes a forty-five millimeter lens like that doesn't it's, that doesn't work. Yeah, um, too close to the lens plane. Yeah, totally. No, uh, film plane. And I just ended up like, I remember it in sort of frustration, a bit in frustration, and also just like curiosity. I was like, well, what will one of these do? And I rolled it up in a dollar bill. It's what I had handy. Because um, one of the other challenges I had is how am I going to make barrels for these things? Right? They come in different diameters. It's really difficult to find like the exact. This is before 3D printing blew up, to be clear. So this and is so also, just, yeah. uh, because you're rolling it in dollar bills, we know that this is also, you weren't smoking a lot of blunts at this point. No, no, not at all. <laughs> never, actually, oddly, weirdly enough, being in San Francisco as long as I have, I have never. Eric Matthew had, was strictly a cocaine man. <laughs> Strictly, strictly caffeine and alcohol. I've never even done that. Um, uh -huh. Boy, me on cocaine would be a terrible idea. Uh, God, oh, I'd be really bad. Anyway, so I, I, you know, go I, ahead. I rolled it in a dollar bill and threw it on on the speed graphic, and it made a it made an image. I was like, well, sh that's kind of interesting. Okay, is a perfect lens for that. Yeah, um, and then I used. Um, metal washers that were the right diameter with different hole sizes. I just went to the hardware store and then I used oh. a permanent marker and blacked them out and then I used scotch tape when I wanted to change the aperture and I threw them on the back of the lens. 
Okay. And, and I, I had a work trip to, I can't remember what little city I had to go to for a work trip. And I took that with and I just shot a bunch of paper negatives and they sort of came out kind of cool. Um, I was like, okay, okay. It's something. It was cheap. You know, I had maybe four dollars into it. Had had you been shooting paper negatives previously on a different project, or this was your um, first time with it? I think I've, sh I've shot paper negatives here and there before. I think anybody who goes to like photo school ends up shooting some paper negatives at some point because it's a really cheap way to do it. Um, and I'm getting into large format in the first place was also an exercise in how cheaply can I do this? Like, never really have money. Um, so, like, commercially, buying commercial film is pretty much, for the most part, a complete non-starter. You know, a dollar to two dollars to a few dollars a sheet, just, like, can't do that. So, x-ray film, 15 cents a sheet once you cut it down. You know, YOLO, great, perfect, mm -hmm. let's do this. Awesome. You know? Fine. Yeah, in California, changing the aperture is a seasonal event with Scotch tape. Yeah, exactly, man. Sunny F-16, fire in the hole. Um, F8 in the case actually with with uh, like Route 66, I spent a, most of Route 66 with like F11, F8. You know, um, I shot litho film pushed to 25 ASA. Uh, that I then which 125th of a second at F16 gives you 1/100th at F8. So most of Route 66 is 1/100th of a second at F8. Okay, so let's let's. Stop a second and talk about what that does to your images. Um, when you have, you know, you're shooting with a, a Canon AE1, mm -hmm. okay? So you're just changing your shutter speed and your aperture with a dial right on your finger. Yep. So you're getting shot to shot, completely different photographic setup. Yeah. But when you have to take your lens apart or you have to tape on a new washer, you are right. then starting to get a real consistent image quality, image setup. Mm -hmm. And so that can create a body of work just from that. Part right. Form, right. Yeah, very much so. And I mean, I designed most of like the dog bill lenses. I ended up um, once once they fit and I really started doing them. Um, and a certain amount of it was definitely like performance art of like, you know, you know, dollar bill, making all that dollar bills because of like the cost of living in America, like you. Yeah. Um, right. There was a certain amount of performance art in that for sure. Yeah, I but definitely I wouldn't spend a euro on one of these. Oh, I would, for sure. Um, it, it definitely opens up the possibility that you could market your lenses in the dollar store. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Although you need more than $1 typically. You need at least two, depending on the, the diameter of the lens. The one I oh, took on the Butterfield trip was actually four because the, a single dollar bill doesn't have the rigidity and strength required for a sizable piece of glass, right? Like this one right here is $4. It's okay. Two. We're getting into the luxury market now. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> You group, you end up grouping the dollar bills into pairs, right? Okay. And folding them over, so it gives that little bit of extra rigidity. What a lot of people don't realize is uh, American dollars are actually they're they're less paper and more fiber. So they have a ton of of strength. Like these things are super strong. Yeah. They're actually more fiber and cloth than they are paper. They're really, really, really strong. Mm -hmm. um, and when you cut them, they don't shed like normal paper sheds a lot. It creates a lot of like dust and stuff. 
these, if you do a clean cut, you get very little stuff going the inside on your lenses. That's the other important right. thing. Like whatever you make a lens barrel out of has to not shed. Because otherwise you get all sorts of dust and crud inside your lens. And if it does shed or it sheds a little bit, you have to make your lens in such ways that you can take it apart to clean it. Commercial lenses that are made out of metal and steel, like the Quantaray, they're, they're really well sealed inside. You're very rarely going to get much dust inside, right? Unless you go do something really crazy. But when you, when you like literally roll your own, um, there's a pretty good chance you can get some stuff inside. But what I ended up doing was um, cutting a slit between the elements for water stop, water house okay. captures, just like the old pestles. Yeah. Um, and then I would make those, I don't think I have any in front of me, originally out of really, really thin carbon fiber. I played with, with using like a quarter millimeter, like super, super thin carbon fiber stock, which you see a lot in motorcycles. You get that stuff and use it for wraps, you do it for all sorts of things as the barrels, but it's too strong. Like it's just, it's, you roll it up around one of these little elements and it's just like ready to just explode and just pop out. It's too strong. Um, but I had a bunch of that stuff laying around that I'd gotten on the cheap to, to play with maybe making a barrel with. And you can cut it with some strong scissors. I mean, it'll wreck the scissors after a while, but you can cut it with some strong scissors sure. and turn those into to water house apertures. So, um, or you can use... Um, what do you get, are you drilling the aperture drill yeah. with a drill bit? Yeah, okay. which became problematic, I discovered. Like, I'm learning as I go. I know absolutely nothing about anything. You know, the larger apertures, it tears through more than it cuts a clean circle. And then you have yeah. to use a file to sort of clean them, clean it up, if you can clean it up, if you can get How a good cut. How uh, carbon fiber are we talking? Like quarter millimeter, like super thin, like single, okay. which also leaks light for the nerds out there. So once you okay. get it and you cut it down, you have to like take black. I, I just use black rattle can, uh, matte rattle can, paint the back, the more porous back, and it fills in all the pores that would leak light. And then like one or two coats of clear coat of that to seal that in place. And it eventually wears through, right? Because as you're taking it in and out of the lens, it's like wearing through the acrylic clear coat and it's wearing through the paint. So every, depending on how much you shoot, every couple of years or every three months, you have to quick like do another coat on the back. Uh -huh. um, and if you use uh, file paper, black file folders also have a nice, it's like a thicker paper than standard printer paper. That works really well for waterhouse apertures too. And also for lens barrels. You just okay. go buy, go to Office Depot and just buy like five or six black file folders. And they work and great. And the point being that the thinner it is, the less diffraction you have at a given. Right, exactly. So uh, I, but also, I learned a serial trick from my friend Joe Van Cleve, who has channel. Uh, also shopping in the Walmart and uh, Staples stationery aisles mm -hmm. for black cardstock. Um, occasionally they make these three ring binders out of ABS uh, black plastic. Oh, it's yeah, like they're, yeah. they're about a buck a piece and you can get like a million uh, apertures or I've been building like aperture blades out of them. Better blades. They're, they're pretty nice, pretty um, not see-through at all. Right. They're smooth, so when they fly, they don't. It's kind of hard smart. to find like the same quality uh, binder to cut up every time at Walmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, for this stuff, I end up finding a source and just like sticking with it. You know, like um, the adhesive-backed, you know, camera repair light-proofing foam. Um, there's a little brand called Japanese Hobby. 
I believe it is, and they make this in like three different thicknesses. Um, sadly, I end up going to Amazon for it or eBay, um, like Amazon, but some things I just can't get anywhere else. Right. And this stuff is is great. I use it everywhere. I use it to hold the lenses and the elements in place. I use it um, to make light seals for other lenses. I use it, you know, I, I, I've never actually used it in a camera. <laughs> But what can I say? Um, but it's just, it's really, really handy. I use it to seal up the box camera I made at the start of the pandemic to seal up the slide on the inside to make sure that that didn't leak light. Um, used a lot of it for that. But it's just, that's a really handy material. Um, and the adhesive back part is, is nice because that way you don't have to deal with gluing it. You just peel off the paper and put it on and away you go. Yeah. All right. Um... So uh, let's step back uh, to uh, this is what I was talking about. Uh, I kind of wanted to head the conversation mm -hmm. to um, where if somebody was at home and they wanted to start playing around with lenses um, and making their own lenses and say they uh, say it's Matt Murray in uh, sunny Brisbane, Australia. What's up, Matt? Uh, um, so, and he, and, you know, Fred can't really get him lent. I think Fred does ship internationally. Yes. But, um, uh, so surplus shed, but let, let's just say, you know, there is, he's out of some, something. So where mm -hmm. would you go to, uh, to find, uh, lens elements to make? I will, I will often go to, if Fred doesn't have something in particular, um, a lot of the manufacturers, like Thor Labs and Edmund, like a lot of the a lot oh, of those yeah. places, sell um, their discontinued. They sell their scratch. They sell their discount. So if there's something really particular I'm looking for, I'll hunt around through there to see if they have something interesting. Okay. Um, I haven't gotten anything from them yet, but I've come really, really close. Uh -huh. So I'll, I'll actually That's prove good. the manufacturers to see if they have any any discounted stock or, or essentially, you know, what, what in the motorcycle world we would call scratch and dent. Um, fully functional, it just isn't very pretty anymore. It's got something that makes it, you can't sell it at retail. Um, I've cruised them. Uh, I've found an increasing number of, of acromats and some other types of lens elements actually on eBay. Um, mm -hmm. There's a whole world out there that I had no idea existed around making telescopes. There's this huge cottage oh, industry yeah. around hand making telescopes of various views and lenses, and they use really high quality glass. Mm -hmm. I, I got um, another they, one is uh, if you're yeah. looking for telescope uh, optics, AliExpress is really good. Yeah, I just I I try certain places. I just I try to avoid some places. AliExpress, though, you know, like you know the Amazon of China, but um, but you know Amazon, you can find some stuff on Amazon, AliExpress, eBay. Um, you can take apart, which I know you're trying, starting to do, Graham. You can take apart oh. pre-existing shit lenses that may have like a yeah. damaged front element. I will often, um, I have one camera I'm shooting with now, which is an old, um, it's an old Voigtlander folder, an Avis plate camera, um, which had a, I've put a lens and a shutter on it from a different camera of the same ilk that functions, um, which had a bad bellows, but this it had a bad front element. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just took another element that was about the same diameter, roughly the same diameter, uh, which fortunately was close to the same focal length, 
and put that in there. And it's roughly the same focal length still as the stock one, but it's a completely different lens. And that's mm -hmm. when I'm shooting the, the American yard car project mm -hmm. with, just because it was interesting. It's a cute little camera. It's super lightweight. It's still large format. Um, it's essentially still a three, 325 by 425. And it's like mm -hmm. a quarter of the weight of the graphics. And a quarter the size of the graphics, like the little folder exactly, like that little folder right yeah. there. So right. Uh, Nick is holding up. What are you holding up specifically, Nick? Unmute yourself. And that that is a Voigtlander Avis. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's exactly the camera he's describing. Yep. Um, and it is a wonderful, wonderful. It's all Voigtlander. Yeah, they're great. It's it's Let's got see how small it gets. Yeah, it's tiny. You can't quite put it in your pocket. But they wouldn't call this a pocket camera back in the day. Yeah. Okay, next, I'll hold it next to my head. But your head is ginormous, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> so it is the size of. I mean, my what? hand, my hands aren't that big. Yeah. It's small. <laughs> it's it's a real plate camera. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it would be the size of. Um, uh, boy, I'm trying to think of something that would be universal. <laughs> A Four small packs book. of cigarettes. A small um, book. A, a, yeah. a moderate-sized paper paperback, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a little bit thicker. It would be, you know, a Stephen well, King book as opposed right. to. It's yeah. it's it's actually smaller than a than a standard paperback, uh, mm -hmm. but thicker. Yeah, I yeah. Would and, say. But, but one of the things is it has a double double bellows extension, so it can take does, seriously yeah. long lens and focus really close. And, yeah, it, it has it has a ground glass back. It has um, as well as a viewfinder. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, they're cute. They're, they, they, they're they're highly functional. And it's standard lens is a one thirty five, which mm -hmm. that's a normal on this camera. But you can easily go this back like to a one oh five, like no problem. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. And so, but the more to the point is if you want to make an interesting lens, you could also take like a, a, a inexpensive vintage camera like that, that has just a, a lot of those have really uh, like a front element that you could particularly scratch up really easily. Mm -hmm. And just, and they're usually a two element lens and just unscrew that front, measure the diameter, find an interesting piece of glass from somewhere and slap that mm -hmm. sucker in there. And you've got a, a really interesting lens that is essentially a modified stock one, but that you've made. Like it, it's it's yeah. it's different than what anybody else will do with that. You've made a lens, right? Like you don't have to make it from scratch, scratch. You can take an existing lens and screw with it. And those like late 1800 lenses um, that come with a shutter can be had fairly affordably. Have um, usually, a, usually a diameter about the same as Fred usually gets. They're not massive chunks of glass because they're made mm -hmm. like six by nine or nine by 12. Um, and you can just use one of those as your vehicle, and away you go. And they, they make really fun and beautiful lenses because like, they're often brass. They've got this really beautiful tooling. They're really, really cool. Uh, I shot a project in, in um, and, Oklahoma and just before the pandemic on a, with a lens like that, and it's just it was super fun. And they've got a shutter. And they have which, a shutter. Um, which helps quite oh, a bit. Wow. Um, so uh, one of the things uh, I uh, am now more than two weeks from my second uh, COVID shot, uh, and so I'm slowly re-emerging into 
the world. And uh, my wife and I went to an antique store that was closing out. And uh, one of the things that was in the antique store was a Canon AE-1. I held it up a little bit earlier. Classic. Now, this is my first Canon AE-1. I've never had it. I've had tons. So uh, I'm film testing it right now. And I really expect to just flip it on eBay. That was the idea. But it came with two zoom lenses. So, uh, or two two longer lenses. It came with a 51 point, uh, 1.8. Eight or whatever. Yeah, the, the standard, the standard 35 millimeter fair. Yeah, like a 35.18. Yeah. So it also came with a 135 3.5 Canon FD, which is about 35 bucks mm -hmm. on eBay, and it came with a Quantaray uh, zoom. And as I was um, destroying the Quantaray zoom. I think it actually might have been a Minolta mount. It said MC on it. I don't think that that's a, a Canon mount. But um, so um, the so I took this lens apart because when I looked on eBay, it had no value. I'm not going to use a zoom lens. I don't use zoom lenses. So I took it apart and ended up with a bag of lens elements. Now these are the smaller lens elements and I'll show you the bigger ones. But I just came up with eight lens elements that were, you know, that, that range in type. That's one of the things that's nice. So so there are three different ways a lens can be. It can be planar, which is mm -hmm. flat. It can be convex which means it bulges out and it can mm -hmm. be concave, which right. means it bulges in. And then you multiply that by the other side of the lens, having all of those options as well. Mm -hmm. And so you, there are a bunch of different lens types. Um, so, um, you know, I have some lens elements in here that are double concave, some that are double convex. Dude. Dude, can um, I just stop you for a second and say, yeah. why in the world do you have those all in a bag banging on each other, getting scratched up? If, sir, sir, no, sir. Bad, bad gram. You're going to make a lens out of those. Those are all hey. really high-quality pieces of glass. Do not let them bang together and get all picked up and scratched up like okay, that. So That's how you get good tones. If I want sir. a sharp image and a nice un un blemished image i'll just take one of my cameras out yes but but okay. if yeah. i may say so if yeah. you take two really sharp gorgeous pieces of glass that aren't optically like jason lane style put together to make the maximum image all the yeah. way around right they're still gonna make a crazy they're still gonna yeah. make a crazy image right okay Okay, yeah. but then you take these two pieces of glass and you beat the fuck out of them. They're, uh -huh. they're going to make a crazy shitty image. You're Which already is, taking a bunch of stuff that's not meant to be used together, put yeah. together to make an image, and it's going to make what most people consider a suboptimal image, right? But there's still uh -huh. something there that's now, sharp now to hold on now to. Now we're getting into a subjective territory. We are, right, but that's okay. But, yeah. if you, but if you take them and you scratch them the fuck up, you're, not, you're just going to get a mess. I see this yeah. all the time. With people who shoot, oh, stupid! <laughs> people who shoot like uh, Kaleiden and dry plate, and they have these old yeah. brass lenses, yeah, that have a ton of character, and they're just 
the front element is just they don't clean them they're yeah. stuff and like there's a difference to me between yeah like controlled chaos there's a photographer that i uh, sadly passed away before I, I knew he existed so i could i never got a chance to meet him james fee look him up look him the hell up okay um he'll produce images especially you grant they'll blow your damn mind like okay was, say, say his name again he was james fee f-e-e okay and um he 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 messed with his lenses he he made he like did macro tubes he used old lenses on his video format and he shot um just ridiculous work but he was also um super ocd in the darkroom he's like one of the last american darkroom masters uh-huh. with his prints and his developing but he would purposely do things to mess with his stuff like he purposely messed with the lenses but he was purposeful he would purposely like with his 120 reels he wouldn't really wash his reels super well because he would want to have some remnant chemicals on them for the next roll. And so you'll see some okay. stuff will have these weird chemical dots because he this still is, had a little bit of fixer on his reel. the concept so, of not washing the uh, cast iron pan. Right, exactly. But he did it in a very purposeful manner. Like he knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't always know exactly what the outcome was, was going to be. Like he didn't uh-huh. know like, okay, the, the fixer is going to hit this, this frame right here, whatever. But he did it with purpose, and and for me, yeah, what so that really introduced. Graham hunched. We want to see Graham hunched over a lens with a loop and a tiny little piece of sandpaper on the sticking around it. Tool, yeah, scratching it just how he wants. Just it. how he wants it exactly. But <laughs> more to the point, though, was being very purposeful and uh-huh. cognizant about what kind of chaos you're adding to your mix. And the chaos may be a little bit random, but it's something yeah. that you can quantify and expect to have happen. Right, so okay. you don't go out and make a huge effort. And again, right. this is maybe a difference between you and I, right? Like so when is, I shoot, is, I'm shooting and I'm making an effort, and I have something in mind, and I'm not fucking around. Yeah. Right? And I don't want to come back and have that shot ruined by something that I didn't know was going to happen. So it it has to do with reproducibility. Yes. When you control it, you can reproduce it. Right, and, and also always and having something it. sharp to hold on to. Like okay. A handmade lens is never going to be as sharp as commercial lens. Let's just be, unless, again, unless you're Jason Lynn. That's not what we want. Or not the engineer. You're never yeah. going to get those results. Let's just get that out of the way. You know, but for me, at least, subjectively, yeah. I always want to have something sharp in there for your eye to hold on to. Uh-huh. Otherwise, and again, this is subjective, but for yeah. me, there just needs to be something that's tack sharp to anchor your eye. Yeah. There, right. there has to be a, like a something. It's... There has to be a something in order to provide the contrast for the nothing uh, is another yeah. way of saying that. Or yeah, yeah, there, yeah. Uh, I'm... so it's, yeah, it's like in the old days before we had GPS, we used to do something called dead reckoning. Yeah. And if dead reckoning, if you didn't get everything as right as you could, you might end up, you know, wrong harbor or hitting the wrong island. You, you needed to narrow all the errors down to get you in the ballpark. Exactly. Because once you have more than one variable, things get really bad. Right. Yeah. And yeah. GPS um, is entirely a matter of cheating. There are plenty of variables, but someone else paid the bills on yeah. those. Yeah. And it's I guess a little, oh, go ahead. I guess my point for you, Graham, with those lenses sticking around yeah. in there, right? Like before you damage them, before you introduce that chaos, see what they're capable of. As they are. And then once you see that, you're like, okay, this is cool, but yeah. I could do something a little crazy. And then you can, with it, 
But yeah. if you if you just wantonly if you just wantonly destroy them before you can even see what they'll do, yeah, it's, it's like it's it's like um it's like a an image scan or a piece of film, yeah. right? Like once it's degrades, you'll never get it back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that actually leads me to my next step because I took eight elements out of this Quantray Zoom, and I don't know jack about any of them, right? Okay. So I only know what their shapes are. Cool. So the front element was a convex planar. So it was planar, it was uh, uh, flat on the back, convex on the front. Mm-hmm. And it's the big front element that everybody looks at. One of the things that I know about this, by the way, as opposed to generally buying lenses from surplus shed, is it's coated. It's multi-coated, right? Mm-hmm. So it can handle, and the elements in between are all going to be coated, keep that re, uh, refraction down and the reflection and all, you know. Yep. Um, so what I did was I made a 3D printed glorified um, uh, paper towel tube. Um, nice. And what this is, is uh, for the people at home, this is a cylinder. It's 60 millimeters across because I figured I don't, I'm not going to pull out any elements that are wider than 60 millimeters uh, across. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it has um, a split down one side of the tube. Um, and then on the back, I have some ground glass. In fact, Ethan, I don't know if you recognize this particular piece of ground glass. That was my um, uh, ground glass focusing um, uh, confirmator, <laughs> confirmation confirmator. device for, like uh, for my um, uh, uh, Bronco pan um, that uh, Ethan sent out to everybody. But you, you can just get frosted plexi, which is what I have on the back. Or you can just do frosted tape on the back. That'll work as well. And then I have made these things that are kind of like, think about a magnifying glass, but the handle is very short. Well, that sticks up and out from the, the, the tube. And I can, and I'm doing it right now, I can focus. Ethan. Okay, so I can get the focal length. Weren't we talking about all the benches? Yeah, this is Ethan? yeah, this is my optical bench that I made. Yeah. you know, drew up on uh, 3D. Your optical tube. My optical tube, yeah, and it mm-hmm. works well. But here's part of the deal is that so I know this this is about a 90 or 95 because this, this is 120 millimeters long and where it focuses at infinity. But then. I've made a bunch of these, so I can put mm-hmm. two of them in there, and then I can figure out where my pairs focus. And here, yeah. let me focus in on that. Okay. And there I am, right there here. Let's see, over my shoulder. See, I can slide them in and out. <laughs> I can slide them in and out, and I can figure out what pairs will be in focus at what point. So this is – now, I did it with 3D printing, but I think that this is something – 
that generally you can do with PVC pipe. With yeah, with PVC pipe, perfect, or a uh, or a toilet paper tube or anything. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I, my whole point on this is to lower lower the cost, lower the barriers. Right. And these are things that not only you know, you're talking, um, I did, this is, no, sorry, this one, this is a Sears 80 to um, 200 um, lens for the OM system. Uh, I looked this up on eBay before we went on, and this thing is worth $12.99, including shipping. Right. You can have one of these right now. Mm-hmm. So you're not, t- and if you guys are are camera hoarders, this is nobody here is a camera hoarder. None of these things, okay? Nick so, is for sure not a camera hoarder. So, <laughs> so th- my whole point is, you can start playing around, and then I'm going to show you another one. And this is um, this actually. Uh, many of you guys know Dominic Silverthorne. We're going to. Uh, Dominic Silverthorne, uh, Ph. Dom on uh, on Flickr. He's Cops Works on um, Instagram. He's also LensPunk on Instagram, yes. and he's doing a lot of these things, which are essentially body caps. With now here, I'm going to also hold up another camera. Is a broken point and shoot. They have very short. Uh, focal um, uh, lens to body focal lens, right? <laughs> so this is one. It is sitting, it is a shaft that is sitting in a Fuji 2 um, M39 adapter. And it's a shaft that I have um, wrapped felt around. And it's, um, this is an achromat para forget what exactly? I think they're about 50s, and I'm going to put it on my webcam. And now yeah, that, that this, makes super interesting. Okay, so I can focus it essentially the same way you would focus a lens, baby. So you can tilt it a bit. There's enough play in the system. You can tilt it a bit. You can, you just, I'm just pushing it in and out and it's staying in there. Oh, yeah, I see that. It's uh, guaranteed all bokeh all the time. You bet. There we go. There's the bokeh. <laughs> bokeh. Um, yeah. Boca, bokeh, tomato, tomato. Yeah, exactly. So um, that is. Live in the vida, bokeh. <laughs> exactly. So you can, I can get fairly sharp images. Now, there's tons of haze because they're uncoated lenses. So I just increase the contrast because it's also very low contrast, right? Um, so, I feel like I'm and in a dream, is, a fever yeah, dream. Yeah, and this is, this is just working with a, you know, on a Fuji X-Pan. Um, what, one of the great things about this is it takes, it's the shutter that is a problem with some of these. Um, and it has the shutter built in. Right. So these, I, um, uh, I, I, this is part of my little rant, and it's your fault, Eric. I, this is your fault. Okay. 
But again. part of my little rant is go out and experiment with these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, one of the things that I know is no one can take a picture that will look like what you take with your dollar bill lens because they're not going to find the same elements. They're not going to space them exactly the same way. Their waterhouse stops are going to be cut more ragged. You know, this is, this is the breaking of the cookie cutter, right? This is the smashing of the cookie cutter. And this is, uh, and okay, so I'm going to, and I'm overtaking this, uh, our guest right now. No, dude, I'm enjoying this. This is great. (laughs) So I'm usually the one ranting. So, you know, fire in the hole, man. Yeah. So Eric, are you working from home right now? Yes. Are you? Okay. So I'm, I've been working from home. I teach college and uh, I've been, and I teach what web design and graphic design. So um, what, what I, I've been sitting in this damn chair which is a nice chair it's which a nice chair, chair. it's well here sitting to in this room for a year just like everybody else mm-hmm. or any everybody else has been lucky enough to have the option of not going right. to a physical right. walk i mean right. i don't want to complain about my fortune my good fortune um yeah fair but my god um you know right about christmas time i bought a beautiful Chamonix four by five. And oh, nice. I love this camera and I've used it five times because there's nothing. Nick, who was the ass bucket comment about? Talking about chairs being perfectly formed to your chair after sitting oh, in yeah, a yeah, year. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, but the thing is that I have nothing I want to take a picture of because I've already taken a picture of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what this has done because I've taken a picture of this, but I've not taken a picture of that. And um, this is something um, I want to also give a shout out to the future of photography. They had an episode about a month and a half ago on abstract photography. Abstract. And they were talking about how you would do it and all this different. Mm-hmm. I love that concept. Non-objective photography or low objective photography. So I'm going to say part of the deal, one of the reasons why I'm planting right now is this has unstuck me from about a year of being stuck photographically. Great. And um, it allows me to go in the backyard and take pictures that I've never taken before. And of the things that I've taken a hundred pictures of. Right. Right. Um, and, and this is a way to explore without having to get a ticket to go somewhere. It's, um, uh, and, um, uh, Nick just said, uh, take a listen to the classic lenses podcast with Isabella Curtis. Yeah. Um, great episode. They knocked Absolutely that one out. Great episode. Um, but anyway, my this I encourage people to search out. Um, I want to give a shout out again to Dom, um, and it is uh, um, Lens underscore Punk. Mm-hmm. I think it is Lens yeah. underscore Punk. 
on Instagram, take a look at what he's doing uh, with body caps and cheap lenses and, uh, and let's get a body of work out there. Yeah. And he's an interesting case in that, yeah. you know, like his day job is, is high end, high quality woodworking, right? You know, furniture, uh, building stuff like he's in Japan where they are very, very into high quality. Like you don't, for that sort of trade, you don't sort of half-ass it. Um, right. And he used to also make large format cameras, extend that sort of woodworking into large format cameras. Um, and we chatted a little bit by email. We'll, we'll keep talking. Um, and he said, you know, I like simplifying this to just like playing around with lens elements instead of building cameras was an eye opener for me. You know, yeah. because I enjoyed building the cameras, but you know, making these lenses, this simple sort of punk rock ethos, yeah. um, really liberating. Yeah, and you know, it's it's a bit of anti-establishment. Um, it's a bit of of f you to high dollar stuff. Yeah, and I think yeah. maybe even to a certain extent, it's, it gets interesting too because you look at like the inexpensive uh, lamography lenses, the lens baby that sort of stuff. They're they're less than a hundred bucks. They're really cheap. You can get some amazing results with the lens babies. Uh, there's a photographer uh, in Germany, the cells that I follow, who just gets ridiculously great results with his lens babies. Like, damn, son, that's nice. Um, that starts to border on how cheap that you or I or, or Nick or, or Ethan could make a lens with, with, you know, two $5, like two $5 elements from social said plus something for a barrel. You spent $15, $20 per se to make a lens. Um, you can buy a little baby for 40. Like it, they, they are managing to make really interesting, my point, yeah. really interesting lo-fi, I'm air quoting that because that's sort of the term, lenses for, for commercially affordable. So if, if you, for the people who are watching or listening out there, if, if you want to do this sort of thing, but you're like, I don't know about making my own, you can also get some really interesting results with many, many different um, uh, lens mounts from something like a lens baby or a Lomo. And I have to give a shout out to those, to that yeah. crew because... They've been going after this sort of thing for a long time. They've stuck the course. Absolutely. They've, they've made a venture out of that, employs a lot of people gainfully. And I think that's- And it's that's got a lot of people into shooting on film, yeah. which puts us in our film the habit. Major hats off to it. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. just on a side yeah, note- does... Go ahead. No, you. Oh, just so the, the one thing to think about with that is- Lens baby is a really fast way to learn what's going on with. Yes. Yeah. But if you if you want to jump up to a bigger sensor or a bigger piece of film and you don't feel like struggling with incremental changes in the camera, um, then it's where you end up basically making your own. Yeah. And Isabel uh -huh. Curtis is actually working on that right now. She's done everything from the best lens that's ever made to using a lens baby, all all of her pictures. Doesn't uh -huh. matter which. Yeah, piece of equipment she's using. But right now, the solution she's trying to solve is to, to get that effect on a bigger sensor, and mm -hmm. commercial stuff doesn't really yeah. make it. And what That's, camera does, can does do she shoot with it? What camera is it? She's is switched, it just... she's switched from film recently to shooting with the GSX 50R. Yeah. From Fuji, which Nick a slightly has. bigger sensor. Uh, yeah. I need to go into... <clears throat> Uh, talk about what that uh, change in format does, but I'm not going to do it today because it's a long discussion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've shot my handmade, like the, these are uh, for a little while. Unfortunately, he's out of stock. I have to email him to see if, if, if he's going to get them back in stock. But for a while, Fred was making these, they're telescope eyepieces mm -hmm. with threaded in 
lens element adapters, like they're just long enough to take three of them. So essentially you can put in two lenses and have one in the middle to space them out. Um, and they take, again, I discovered the world of telescopes, right? This thread is an M is a 42 T mount. So it's a slightly different thread than your standard M42. Okay. okay. But there are people making an M42 to T2 adapter, ah. which means for a while I have a, I have a bunch of these. I started playing with, and you sort of have to mess around with them to get the lens element in the back, which makes a difference. Gotta love the tape. Right. <laughs> tape and foam. There's also a million M42 focusing helicoids out there. Right. For super cheap. So, like, when I, I was fortunate enough to, to get loaned one of those GFX50s, handmade lens on a, on a helicoid, fairly inexpensive. There you go. Fucking great on that sensor. That is literally, I'm going to rave about it for a second. That Fuji GFX50 is the only digital sensor I want. Like, flat out. It shoots so well. Converted to monochrome yeah. with a handmade lens. It's the only one that I've shot where it's like, okay, this looks almost exactly like the type of thing I can get from my Pentacon 6. And like a really smooth film. And sometimes I don't want the smooth film to be clear. And, and I'd rather shoot a 400 to get a little chunk or like. Yeah. And also you can get the frames to overlap and get super funky. It's but the a super great tool for experimentation. A, yeah, and exactly. It speeds up the learning process. Even mm -hmm. if you're then going to use film, you can go through right. a whole bunch of iterations really quickly. Yeah. And then and, waste a lot less time and chemicals. And Right. And what you can do is, because there's so many adapters for old lenses to that body, is you buy yourself a medium format bellows. The Pentagon 6 bellows, macro bellows, are huge in diameter. I have one out in the garage. They're huge in diameter, and they have a massive extension. And there is a Pentagon to Fuji GFX adapter, right? So you can, or you just, so you can get that on there, and it gives you this huge bellows length to test different lens elements, to test different lenses with on that sensor, right? And it works really, 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 really well for just testing all sorts of stuff. And you can, I mean, I focused a bunch with just the bellows focus as my focus throw before I started doing these. Um, but man, a bellows and that medium format sensor allows you to test and do a lot of interesting things. One other and thing. In that, any conditions, like middle of the night or whatever, yeah, like you're yeah. not limited to. Well, yeah. one, of, one of the things that's nice about um that size sensor and one of the things that uh isabella was was talking about when she um she was talking about it is you can also free lens and free yeah. lensing is just unscrewing your your lens and just moving it around have you guys ever seen uh susan bernstein's work no oh. <laughs> um she is a photographer based out in LA and for a while now, well over 10 years, maybe 20 years, she's been hand making her own cameras and lenses using oh, yeah. elements and all sorts of stuff. Her work is stellar, gorgeous, oh. stunning. Like Susan Bernstein's work is phenomenal. And she's actually got a certain level of commercial success doing it, which is, which is difficult, right? Using this sort of lo-fi crazy method. Um, but her, She's really, really good. Um, we have a few friends in common who just 
really mm -hmm. speak highly of her as a person, but and also obviously as a photographer. And uh, she has some uh, Getty Images stuff, and she is. Let me make sure she's. This is the right Susan Bernstein. This is not okay. I just about gave out somebody else's. Um, uh, maybe uh, maybe we're getting. Yeah, I'll put it in the chat to make sure you got the right one. Yeah, um, put it in the uh, in the chat there. And here, let me get my chat open. Chat, 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 chat. Where is the chat? I really. Yeah. Oh, there it is. While you're, huh. while, you're while you're working on that, um, you guys have mentioned two things that might be worth going into. Specifying what you're talking about, T-mount mm -hmm. was for telescopes. Yep. And there are uh, yeah. lenses, and we also mentioned Poincaré. So here's a ten dollar four hundred millimeter lens <laughs> in T-mount. And one thing about T-mount is it was the longest of all the thirty-five millimeter flangeback distances, yeah. pretty much. And that means you can adapt T-mount to any other five millimeter. It's a threaded mount. You can screw uh -huh. it on like a Nikon. Yeah, it's a it's an M42 and by 0.75. Right, thread. and and here's what's different um, about this Quantore lens. It's 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 probably been used once. It's perfect. It's mint, mint, mint. The reason it's only been used once is that if you try and shoot color with it, it's all magenta flare and hardly any image. But if you shoot monochrome, it's absolutely perfectly fine. And the other thing about a lens this cheap is that it weighs just about a pound and a half. So mm -hmm. for a 400 millimeter lens, that's yeah, an that's amazing right. thing. And with a modern camera that can shoot at a 4,000 per second or higher, um, you can handhold a 400. So it can be kind of an amazing so Nick, yeah. piece of have you ever for ten dollars? Yeah. <laughs> have, have you ever made those? Um, like crescent rolls that come in a tube and you whack them on the side of the counter and then they open up. That's what you need to do with that lens to get those elements out. Um, in order. Oh, you're talking about lens butchery in order to use the glass. Well, that was kind exactly. of one of the things I was thinking when I bought it, but then uh -huh. it turned out to be kind of a wonderful thing. Uh, another thing about these, because they're meant to be adapted to everything under the sun is they have a, uh, an aperture stop down device that, that they work on any camera. They're really kind of yeah. cool that way. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I want to be very clear Susan Bernstein is B U R N S T I N E. Mm -hmm. um, I did the E I N and, uh, um, right, right, and, right. and didn't, was getting some other people. Um, SusanBernstein.com. Uh, yes, this is yes. this is 100% of what I want to want to do uh, with with my current work. So yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so um, one one other thing I want to mention, I talked a little bit about it. I wanted to show a working version, um, and that is aperture. We've talked about water house, house stops. Mm -hmm. I do, this is in fact, um, the, the 58, um, millimeter or 54 millimeter. This is, uh, two one Oh five, a chromat pairs on either end. And you use the spaghetti trick. 
What? Say it again. Did you use the spaghetti sizing trick? Mm-hmm. Hold oh, on. What? Go ahead. Finish it. Oh, I know. Uh, finish it. Finish it. But what? What I? They're spaced in between by an aperture that I bought mm-hmm. for twenty-five bucks on AliExpress. So this is a, a fifty-four one point four, and I'm going to put it on you know this APS-C sensor that my webcam is running off of and free lens and I might not be oh here where is it oh yeah where am I I was trying to oh here I I had it wide open let me that's a, that's a flattering down. lens that's a really flattering yeah lens. Yeah. yeah screw you Nick <laughs> um <laughs> uh, for some reason I'm not I think it needs to go inside of uh the flange is too long on this one. Um, but it is, uh, I made that for my K-mount um, SLR, my Vivitar. And all I do is I put it together like that. And then I have aperture control. I'm essentially free lensing because it won't stay in there. It'll fall out. Right. Um but it has aperture control, which is really nice. Um, and I was uh, one thing about this is I was metering using the camera's meter, which didn't work because it was trying to read the f-stop. So off the lens, which there's no none of that communication in it. Um, but I'm gonna going to rework this one so it'll mount on that. There was something mentioned uh, a little bit ago. There's some reference to a spaghetti trick. Yeah. Yeah. So there is. (laughs) So there is a really inexpensive. I'm trying to find a good a good link for it, but sadly it's going to be an Amazon link. I apologize in advance. So there is in terms of like apertures, right? Like a integrated. You know, multi-blade aperture. Um, one interesting place one can get them is they use them for posh for pasta portion sizing. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, they're they're big-ish, uh-huh. but um, but there they are. I mean, you want to get one that isn't like translucent lime green or whatever. But if, if in terms of and also they they tend to be maybe a little bit bigger because like how big of a thing of pasta my making for my family, but nonetheless... Honey, how much pasta I, should I put in? Uh, exactly. About an F4. About an, yeah, it's about an F2.8. <laughs> um, but they, they, that there's, actually makes a lot of sense because in the dark winter months, you need more pasta. So much pasta. <laughs> Dude, yeah. But, it, but more to the point, like I found that to be a really interesting place to find. I, mean, I haven't used one yet. I'm really tempted. But to find like interesting sources of of photographic equipment, like pasta sizer, you know, like there's all sorts of interesting places hey, where you can Ethan, find the stuff Ethan, that works. Turn your turn your mic off, Ethan. I mean, I don't mind be... listening to a drill, honestly. Sorry, sorry. I feel like I'm in a dentist's you know, office. I think <laughs> pasta sizer, pasta sizer would be more appropriate for some sort of late night exercise machine. Yeah, you know, get the pasta sizer. But you know, for for a bigger piece of flat, like you know, a lens like this size. You know, 
there are a lot of interesting places to possibly find yeah. things like apertures um, or like, you know. Hey, let's talk about that lens. Let's talk about specifically the construction, the, the, <laughs> the um, let, let's talk about which pieces of glass you use, right. um, how you're putting it together and talk about the whole thing about it being a dual format, um, a dual focal length. A convertible. Well, it was, yeah, convertible. Actually, can we can we retell the story? I know we've talked about it a few times as we lead into it. Why yeah. are you building this lens like Um Yeah. Because I feel like there's a good chance that the the camera this is being built for um where did that oop, I'm missing one piece. One second. Um there you are. Um so this is a lens that's being built for not me. It's a commissioned piece, which is weird to say. I actually have a commissioned lens. Like the fuck has happened to the world if somebody wants to commission a lens from me and not like Jason. But hey, whatever. Um, by a, 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 a photographer named Elena Eritrem. And she's originally from the Bronx. She's um, uh, African-American, black. And really look her up. Like her portrait photography is stunning. Uh, very masters painterly because she drew a lot of inspiration from the masters of painting and her work is just really gorgeous. Um, she also happens to be the, the partner, uh, like life partner, if you will, of Wayne Martin Belger. So I didn't meet her when I met Maine, but I think they, they became a couple after I met Wayne. So she was visiting family she and some of her family were were on a vacation and they said hey her mom said hey you have some some aunties some great aunts further in i think it's south carolina um would you like to go meet them and she's like yeah I, I, that sounds great i'd love to so they go to meet these two great aunts of hers and it turns out they are living on former plantation land that her great great grandfather i believe um i have to double check my notes was born on as a slave, enslaved. Um, and when that plantation owner died, he had lots of children with his, with his slaves. And um, he ceded a bunch of the land to, to his ancestors from, from those acts, right? And those include her ancestors, who are now amongst them her great aunties. And, and to take his story a step further, it turns out when she dug into this, this great-great-grandfather, he had fallen in love with a young lady across, literally across the street at the plantation across the street, who was the plantation owner's daughter. They fell in love, and they ran away up to Maine um, or Pennsylvania and started that side of her family. It's her mother's side of the family. And so she has this really like, mind-blowing moment of both sides, like this side of the family, were both slave owners and slaves. Like, holy shit. You know, and this is post-George Floyd. This is like America, part of America's great racial reckoning that's been happening. And, um, and so she's having this moment, like, what, what do I do with this? So, and some of the cabins still exist. Like those cabins that, that the slaves lived in, were born in, died in, built, they're still there. Uh, so... She wants to go back and do oral histories and take portraits and do landscapes of these properties and sort of explore her own history, but also sort of America's racial history 
a lot more. And eventually she actually wants to, to purchase the land where two of those cabins that are still intact are still on. Um, so uh, Wayne, we had Wayne on a large format podcast and uh, we were talking a little bit about this. And he's gonna build a camera for it. It'll be his first like real camera that Wayne will have ever built with an actual lens, not a pinhole. If you've ever seen Wayne's lenses, they're, Wayne's cameras, sorry, they're absolutely bonkers. They're very bespoke per, per project. Um, and he's gonna build it at least partially with wood reclaimed from those cabins, right? Because that's just what Wayne does, you know? Um, and he just sort of off the cuff said, hey man, I was meaning to ask you, would you build a lens for it? And I was like, Yes, uh, <laughs> and I think that must have been like six months ago or so now, or five months ago or so now, um, which is really intimidating if I can be honest for a moment. You know, I don't really feel like I'm some sort of really great or amazing uh, lens builder. Sorry, my coffee machine's turning off. Um, or anybody who's like really accomplished or should be intensely sought after to, to build I saw something. some videos of this lens. It's it's pretty good. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's, yeah. You yeah. rose to the occasion. You are so more yeah, yeah. than you are confident. Well, <laughs> you're very kind. Um, so I decided, okay, 8 by 10 I need a big chunk of glass. I've made um, this lens at the start of the pandemic for a box camera. And I thought, okay, this will probably give me some 8x10 coverage. Um, and I contacted Fred to see if I had any more of those elements. And he didn't, but he said, hey, but I have a couple of a couple of, of uh, uncemented acromats that have the same focal length, uh, 360s for the folks in the audience, um, but a little bit bigger, you know, a couple, a couple millimeters bigger diameter. Do you want them? And I said, and they're coded. And I said, hell yes. Where are they? He's like, oh, they're not in stock. I just have them. They're not in the catalog. Do you want them? I said, yes. He said, okay, I will put them up. Here's the part number. They're just for you. Same price, you know, like $4.50 each, you know? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and I get them and they're these, they're these massive, just massive pieces of coated, uncemented acromats. They just jive. And you can see there's a little bit of scoring on it. Like they've been used. They came out of something. I believe they came out of like some high-end military binoculars. Um, but they're just massive chunks of glass. And I thought, okay, I have two pieces of glass. I don't want her to be limited to like a 180, which is a fairly wide angle, right, for a four by five. That's like, like a 24 millimeter. Um, that's a terrible landscape. You mean for eight by 10. You, you mean for eight by 10? Yeah, for eight by 10. Like it's a really wide angle for an eight by 10. Um, so I decided I would go ahead and just I'd take a crack at making a convertible lens, which were very much a, a an invention of the late 1800s. They're, they're kind of out of favor nowadays because for, with, for the most part, you just get a much better lens if it's a, all dedicated and put together to be what it is, right? When you make a lens that can convert from one thing to the other, you start to make a lot of compromises in either form, and that's just the way it is. But for me, like I, just making lenses is a compromise no matter what. So, um, and I, again, I've made a few lenses like this where they have sort of a middle piece and the aperture drop-in. In this particular case, it has both an aperture drop-in and a shutter, um, a drop shutter. Um, so I'm fairly comfortable with this design. Um, but I also wanted to make it look good because it's going to be on a Wayne Martin Belger camera and it's got to hang, 
right? Like Wayne's cameras are again pieces of art. Um, and I also I wanted to to make it with materials that were that had something to do with her project. Like it it didn't feel right to me to slap like like this lens. The barrels are made out of PVC pipe, mm -hmm. right? It just felt it feels bad, man. It felt bad to go and like make a lens for such a weighty project and use this fucking we can swear just use some piece piece of shit PVC pipe. It just didn't. It didn't feel right, you know? So I decided I've never worked, really worked with wood before. So I decided to, to try my hand at essentially turning wood lenses, wood barrels, I should say. Um, right? This is, you'll, you'll see what this is for later, but essentially this, it's a, it's a wooden round. Um, and it's made from, well, this particular wood is uh, a hardwood from Mississippi called Mississippi Red Gum. It's indigenous to the American South. More than likely, her ancestors lived in cabins made from this wood or sat on chairs made of this wood or cut down this stuff and processed it and burned it and did whatever else. Like, they, they, this was part of their lives. Um, and it's also sustainable. It's not a, it's like there's some really gorgeous wood out there I've discovered, but like you look into where it comes from and how it's harvested, and it's like this is sketchy and terrible. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of beautiful wood from Africa that is just heinous from an environmental and um, like workers' rights standpoint. It's just garbage. That's so bad, uh, but it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I really wanted to use it, but I'm like, I can't. So it's a, it's a sustainable wood. Um, actually, Bentley is starting to use this wood for, for their interiors. Um, which is oh awesome. My. Yeah, very much. Oh my! So, um, and my local uh, lumber yard carries planks of it. So I grabbed a, a plank of it and just taught myself how to um, work with wood. Cut the rounds. Um, these didn't come round uh, to start with. Essentially, I started with little squares and taught myself how to round them out without a lathe. I just only have a drill press. Um, taught myself how to finish everything else. I ended up using carbon fiber for the for the for the lens boards themselves because it has to be really really thin and really really strong. This is not a a light little beastie. Um, and then they're held in with just circlips, mm -hmm. Honda engine circlips from ATVs. Um, like I said, you scramble like you because right. circuits like this, inner circuits like this, are super expensive. Like they're really expensive. They're eight to twelve bucks a freaking pop. Honda ATV circuits, a couple bucks. You know, uh, part of part of this process that I love is how we discover that what we need is out there, uh, but it's just used for something else. Yeah. And it, you know, and my first crack at these circlips, I got like the 58 millimeter circlip that was for this inner this diameter, mm -hmm. but they're too strong. Like I don't have much of a lip here to work with, which was a mistake oh. on my part. I should have had more of a lip here. I barely have any lip. That's a total total rookie mistake on my part. But I wasn't going to rebuild these barrels at that point, so I was like, screw it. I'm working with what I got. But their unsprung circlip for, for 58 is like 65 or 68 millimeters, because they're made for inside of an engine. So getting them like compressed enough to get in there, it just wasn't possible. So I went for, I think these are 55 or 54 millimeter circlips with an unsprung 
diameter of like just two or three millimeters wider than this. They have an unsprung diameter. So I could, I just had to barely wedge them in there and let them go and they stuck. Because again, they're made for an engine. They, they're doing mm -hmm. this here static. You don't need the same tolerances, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, circuit pliers. Um, and then the other thing, you know, because this is my classic lens design, two acromats facing each other. Um, but essentially, the, and also the, the reason I also chose these designs is the two predominant lens designs in the 1800s were the Chevalier, which we, is more commonly known as the French landscape lens. It's a single acromat that was originally uh, developed for telescopes. Charles Chevalier was an ophthalmologist, doctorate. Back then, like, that meant something. It wasn't just a guy who did your glasses. Like He did glasses for the ultra-rich, but he also did telegraph, telescope lenses, um, tele, uh, scientific lenses, all sorts of stuff. So his original uh, camera lens was made for telescopes. And the gear types came out, and the next and he saw them, was fascinated, and thought, I, I just built a lens for this, for telescopes. I wonder if it'll work for this daguerreotype thing. And it worked great. And that became the first mass-produced camera lens, the French landscape, the Chevalier, um, which is also interesting because it places the aperture in front of the lens. Modern photography, we always think of the aperture as in between the lens elements. The Chevalier has it in front of it, which feels really weird. Honestly, I had my doubts. I was like, how the hell is this? No, it shoots amazingly well. Um, so I wanted to, to do a French landscape, but I also, the second most common lens back then was the Petzl, the two element Petzl. Um, so Nick? Before we run past it, um, so putting the aperture in front, does that basically mean it's sort of a pinhole camera enhanced by a lens? I, that's, a, that's an interesting way to look at it, possibly. I mean, it, it might possibly be. There's some math to where the optimal placement of the aperture is in front of the lens, depending on the focal length, which I'll get to in a second. Doesn't actually, at least for this build, didn't actually work, it, at least not for an 8x10. Like, it actually took, like, this thing has coverage for days. This thing will cover 16 by 20 Like, if she has lens movements, like, we tried on my, on my buddy's 8x10, we, we threw it full tilt, full way, full up, everywhere. This thing covers everything. It's ridiculous how much coverage this glass has, right? Like, shocking. So the, the optimal distance for the aperture is usually one-sixth to one-seventh the focal length, right? So for a 360-millimeter lens, you're looking at, like, you know, 50, 60 millimeters up front, right? Six centimeters. So we did that. And you're, not, you're now talking about it. Are you still talking about the Chevalier? Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and so we did that in my buddy's garden when we were testing the landscape side of it and threw on, um, we're shooting paper negatives, and threw on one of the, the bigger apertures to start with and got massive vignette, right? Mm -hmm. Massive vignette, and I was like, "Son of a bitch, this doesn't cover eight by ten. Like, this is one of the first things we shot, and I was like, "Fuck me, this doesn't work, right? This is this is bad, man." Um, but then we, I ended up quickly sort of refactoring. I had, and I had a beautiful piece of brass of copper. I had a copper barrel to slide over it, 
to place the aperture at the right length. It was just gorgeous. It was beautiful. It didn't work. So I quickly refactored and just used the sort of plastic piece I had to hold the barrel and munged it. And I shot that. So what's the difference? It's, it's much closer to the lens. You moved the aperture much closer to the lens. Much closer to the lens. I, I halved it to like a third or a quarter of the focal length. And I got full oh. coverage and it was, it was sharp. So I was like, cool. For those people who are just listening and not watching the YouTube video, uh, what Eric just showed is like, I mean, looks like a large format lens, right? It's, it's not, you could fool me and tell me that that was a Schneider from, you know, the seventies for sure. And it, no, you could not. They don't make them out of wood. I no the no, image, no, no, not the lens. The image. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Like yeah. No, not. this is not. Uh, this is not a random lens anymore. Right. Beautiful. Actually, that that test shot was this one. Sorry, this is the test shot wow. to match the one that that so was. Am I? Am I wrong, or is there still some vignetting? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Lens? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For so sure. that's because of the aperture in front configuration. No, it's it's because the, these two optical elements, you know, they weren't really made to work with each other like this, right? Like they they don't they don't bend the light into each other for a perfect image. This is this is where like physics and having a degree in this and lens coatings and like that and that quant array that Graham took apart with all the different disparate weird elements put together, like those are scientifically designed to make a perfect image at twenty four by thirty five millimeter. They're coded, mm -hmm. their angles, everything is 100% scientifically designed to do just that. These two elements were probably, again, the front elements from uh, telescopes or, uh, I think, binoculars. They were not made to work together like this. They were not made to work alone. Okay. So they're always going to have some vignetting or nuts stuff, right? Okay. Uh, so I, I'm confused. The Chevalier has one piece of glass in it mm -hmm. and the one you're holding up has two yep correct but that test shot was made with two oh i mean okay i'll step back so um i wanted to make two lenses for her but i only had two pieces of glass so i decided i would make it convertible and what i did is i um, i got it a convertible it has, value. It has brass inserts in the back and very teeny tiny screws which i'm sending her like 12 of because these little fuckers can be really easy to lose um with low profile so fine with a single element mm -hmm. and the aperture in front it was yeah. only when you added the second element and changed the focal length dramatically right, that it caused the problem no no it was a single element with the aperture placed where scientifically it should have been that gave me a massive vignette and i had a panic moment where oh, i'm like okay. i did everything right now the math is right the aperture is right like on the ground glass without the barrel it's right but i put the barrel on and it vignettes like crazy Shit. Um, but I shortened the, the aperture barrel up front and it worked great. Um, and then I went home and I sort of refactored everything. Let me take all four of these off. And then you can see the inside of the lens too. Um, and that's where this and an air intake bridge from a high-performance car. <laughs> you find stuff where you can find it. Lined with, with black felt. It slips over the front. Feel where to mark that. And then the aperture holder. 
and that's a French okay. landscape. So and what then, he's uh, what he's taken is uh, what looks like a PVC, not PVC, uh, ABS rubber. plastic. It's oh, it's rubber. rubber. Okay. Yeah, it's for air hoses and high-performance cars. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it, it looks like it's meant to transport sewage, though. I mean, that's that's yeah, general. yeah, it's it's yeah. And then he slipped in. Now, is that an aperture? Is the wood the aperture? or is This that is the, the start aperture? of the aperture, right? So this is a spare lens round that I had that I was experimenting uh -huh. on, and it just makes a perfect aperture holder. So this is F9. Okay. okay. This. Now he's put it. Okay, so this is. Uh, That's uh, F11. Okay, so um, in the end of the tube, he put a piece of wood that when it, it when it has nothing that has a hole in in it mm -hmm. um and when it has nothing it's f9 yep then he put in another piece is that a piece of wood or is that metal? no it's plastic you know what this is plastic. this is an insert you know the the desk corporate desk they have the little holes drilled in them oh yeah yeah, yeah for, this for is the little, this is a little plastic yeah. insert that goes into those holes to make it look pretty okay hardware <laughs> store that's f11 and uh -huh. then I bought a bunch of rubber washers. Okay. Right. And used uh, Nick. You're gonna freaking laugh your ass off at this. Used wood spade bits, right? Because they have a sharp center and two small points on the outsides. To take those wood, those rubber washers, and cut them out to be bigger washers. So this is Actually, F24. That's a good choice for that. Yeah. yeah, because it holds still and just sort of just cuts a nice, clean, really, really, really clean hole. I've got a tiny one for the entrance area. And they stay centered because they have a little guide point, mm -hmm. whereas if you try and use, yeah. yeah. And that's F11, F16, and you just sort of press the rubber washer in there, and you have F16. Okay. So how thick are the rubber washers? Uh, about a millimeter. Relatively thin. Not bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the French landscape, the 360 that shot, you know, those. And uh, we tested it with portraits. Unfortunately, F9.5, you need a lot of light to shoot three ASA paper so at F9.5. So it's a little bit dark, but that's yeah, wide open. Just make sure that. That uh, that read that desk device that's holding the aperture. If you mm -hmm. check to make sure that's not part of the vignetting. Yes. Yeah. That first one was shot wide open without without the the desktop thing. Uh, and when we moved it back, there's no vignetting. Yeah. So. Um, and then the inside of it, there's a little piece of that foam to light proof it. Um, I used machine screws to pop through. This is epoxied to the carbon fiber to hold it in place originally, and then machine screws were just drilled through in there to really hold right. it in there. So for those for those who are just uh, listening, he's made a mustache out of foam. Pretty much, on, yep, like on the bottom. Yeah, because the back of the other back essentially has Right, um, a little holder for the for the water house apertures that slide in. So when this is put together, so this this has water house stops. Yep. In uh, in between the two elements, but it's also got a front. Right. 
depending on the configuration, uh, yeah. right? Because when they're placed together like this, they're about 185 millimeter to yeah. two element lens. I was hoping to do more of a, a petzl lens where the rear element has space between the, the yeah. flint and the crown, but I didn't have enough room in the lens. So it's just two paired acromats. Um, but then for those apertures, aluminum business card stock. Mm -hmm. You can buy these. You use them with like laser, with lasers essentially to make little aluminum business cards. They're like half a millimeter, a quarter millimeter thick, blacked out, super thin aluminum, pretty stiff, right? And I cut them with the same spade bit, Nick, because a big drill bit will punch through this and it'll bow it out, right, with the force. But those little I spade bits make just here. fast work out of these. I don't I don't have it here in my room, but uh, I inherited from my grandfather an adjustable spade bit. Have you seen those? Oh, so oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Design. It's an infinitely adjustable diameter, well, within its range, yeah. where you just turn a knob. And, and you bring them in. It has, it has two, as one blade or two right. blades, right? Yeah, exactly. I've been tempted by right. those. But that allows me, because the, the larger apertures are usually difficult with the, with the drill bit, because getting a drill bit this big is difficult, and then punching it through something without buckling it is also difficult and burring it. So this is just black business aluminum business card stock, F8. And that just slides. For listeners, these apertures are quite big. I mean, we're talking about a big lens on a big camera. These yeah. Little teeny, teeny things. These are, you know, shot glass size holes. Yeah. And then it just slides between them. What's the uh, maximum aperture of this in 180 mode? The 180 is about an f4.5, f5. Okay, and then in the 360? Exactly twice that, f9. Okay, there we go. Um, and it, the, the 180 shoots, the 180 portraits are the f4.5 like these. There was enough room for the, for the strobes that we had on hand to actually work. Um, you know, he just had like one stroke. He had, he had like 2,500 watts to play with, right? Um, and fifth year essay paper, but. Nice. Yeah, so they, they also make a, it turned into a couple of really nice portrait lenses. Um, she's going to have to shoot film because I know the strobe head she has is like a 600 watt, a portable like 600 watt strobe head. Um, so she's going to have to shoot like a 25 ASA or 50 ASA film for her portraits, but it'll. I am shocked. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm shocked. Like when, when stuff, when you do stuff like this, especially for somebody else, and again, like there's, you have to have some sharpness, right? Something to, to, to anchor your eye or it's a mess, for me at least, especially for a project like this. And there's some sharpness and there's a decent circle, even wide open of that sharpness. And the circle gets bigger and bigger with the apertures, right? And that's the key also for lenses is, when you hand make a lens, you need to find the minimum aperture that will give you a big enough circle that's sharp enough to be usable, right? It doesn't do you much good to build a lens, 35 millimeter, whatever, that has like one twentieth of the of the film plane sharp, and everything else just goes. Like you, for me, I want to have at least like a fifth or a quarter of that area that I can get relatively sharp results in when I want it, right? And then that expands when you tighten the apertures up, 
but that 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 wide open lens has that big enough circle confusion in the middle, which is a weird name to, for the for the center part of what's the sharpest thing to call it the circle of confusion. I don't know. Lens like lens physicists were weird back in the day. I'm sure there's a scientific reason for it. Well, that's describing a much more uh, close-up view of what you're doing. The circle of confusion has to do with pixel peeping, not with with uh, the actual size of the um, So, but yeah, I, so having like when this came out, and it's and it's nice that my buddy Vince is like the master of reverse processing things. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole bleach process and everything. So having it come out and like be pretty good. Um, both for landscapes and portraits was just honestly it is such a relief. I spent five months building this thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never worked with wood before. I've, every single part of this, uh, most of this was brand new to me. So, like, what would you do differently starting it again besides make enough room for the springs? Um, that's a big <laughs> besides one. that, and I, th I think it's worth pointing out at this that the early experimentalists in photography didn't know what they were doing either. And so yeah. you have the privilege of, of actually kind of re-experiencing the thrill of invention. Uh, yes. So, so, yes. Nick always has the best way of, of, of putting these things. You're very kind. And yes, it, it is. Although interesting, like, you know, like Petzl, the guy who created, I think his name was Joseph, Joseph Petzl, uh, who created the, the Petzl lens of fame and fortune, um, still widely sought after, right, lenses and designs. Do you know, I mean, besides the fact that he taught at university and he did this for a living, right, he had a hard science background. Do you know who he used for his math to figure out? Because his whole point was making a fast lens that would do portraits and that would be as optically corrected as possible. You know who he used? Artillery officers. Oh, so yeah. The Duke of Austria, I believe it was Austria, the Duke of Austria loaned him a team of like eight artillery officers because they were the foremost applied mathematicians of the age. They could lob a 50 pound artillery shell, however many miles with wind and gravity and other factors and land it accurately and do that math like right. fast as possible. You, you, want to, you want to do it fast when someone's shooting at you. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to blow your guys up while you're at it. So mistakes are, 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 difficult, are, are costly. Um, and you don't know if you made a mistake because the, the, the front is five miles away. There's no radio, right? Yeah. There's carrier pigeon. Um, but the one thing they couldn't correct was what is now the infamous Petzl swirl. And that's what they named it after. They named, they used his name for the one thing he couldn't correct. Irony. Uh -huh. Right there. Beautiful irony because it's beautiful, right? And he accepted it. I, I would love to actually talk to the guy to see if that was he was just like, fuck it, we can't fix that. We're done. You know, or if that was like, he yeah. thought it was pretty, or it was just like, screw it, I'm not, we're done. Or he spent uh, the next 20 years adding a third element. Yeah. Banging his head against it, trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, it made me rich, but damn it. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, but I would, what would I do differently? I probably, like my original, my original aperture barrel attempt, I went through several iterations. The first one was actually trying to bore out a wood bowl blank. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to bore this out for lens barrel, by the way. Make no fucking mistake. This is I bought two of them. Um, 
because once I actually had one of these like hollowed out and I was working to finish it, I dropped it and it cracked and busted. You didn't want to super glue it? <laughs> no. Um, and then I realized that like Alana or anybody in the field is also going to drop it and crack it. So maybe the wood yeah. wasn't the best option as pretty and gorgeous as this would have been. And I'm still going to make a, wood, a lens barrel out of this sucker. Just you wait. Um, and I ended up with the copper as a second iteration, which is stunning. I'm still going to make a lens with a copper barrel because it's just so gorgeous, but it's super expensive. Um, where in the end, like, this, and it's not the sexiest thing. It's not the worst thing. It's yeah. like, this works great. It's light, and it was pretty expensive to do. I probably would have just gone right to this and saved myself. Literally, you don't even know how many hours I spent slowly boring he, this thing out. Yeah, and he's holding up the rubber uh, aperture um, barrel that sits mm -hmm. on the post. Um, I would probably, I probably will eventually learn how to turn wood on a lathe. Um, I rounded these off with um, a drill press and like a bolt contraption I made. I sort of like went through the unfinished barrel. Which, by round. the way, we're we're now talking about a lathe. <laughs> yeah, but there's desktop lathes that are fairly inexpensive, and if you're sure. going to turn a wood barrel and do it accurately and make it perfectly round to the dimensions you want, it's a hell of a lot easier and safer than using a freaking drill press and like a jury-rigged holder and some sandpaper. Hang on one second, one second, time out. My headphones died and... Oh, his pink headphones died, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, give me a test. Microphone test okay, for you. Great. We're good. Okay, okay. Continue. <laughs> um, so just, just little things like, like that. Um, I think the design is pretty good. The next, the, the other challenge is definitely like with both all lenses of this ilk, with no shutters and modern media, modern media, like it gets really difficult trying to figure out like, you know, what are you going to shoot? What, what film or what paper or dry plate or wet plate are you going to shoot? How are you going to shoot it? You know, the lens is really going to dictate per medium. There's, there's no two ways about it. Um, do you think that your lens and enter medium might dictate Wayne building a shutter? Well, maybe I worry about, because uh, I thought of like the old Packard shutters and like the, the front lens are attached to Or even to just like a drop guillotine shutter. Yeah, possibly. He could possibly build one. I worry about if it's front mounted. Um, like the stability of that with this sort of setup might not be great, especially if she's shooting at a downward angle. Like everything I test is at a downward angle because that's where stuff falls out. I see. Yeah. I don't worry about that. I don't worry about that. I worry about downward angle. That's yeah. where everything falls out. Uh, Speaking from painful personal experience. Couldn't you put it on the put it on the back of the lens maybe? Possibly, it makes it a little unwieldy and, and Wayne might do that. She's going to shoot film. I, I texted her after we ran the test and I was like, what are you gonna do for these portraits? And she said film. So now she and I- um, how, big how big of an opening you need to cover with the shutter? About 58 millimeters. 
I love it, dude. Every time Nick gets up, I'm like, what goodie is Nick going to bring yeah. back to the camera? There's always and something. To camera too. Cool. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, but you know, honestly, with a single strobe pivot indoor, uh, a 25 or 50 ASA film like uh, the Arista Ortholitho push to 25 ASA, which I've done, it's usually six. You can push it two stops and get great results. I do it all the time. Will work really well. It just depends on if she wants that sort of orthochromatic look and feel of the 1800s or not. Because if she does, it's got to be dry plate, wet plate, paper, or ortholitho. Considering that x-ray film is getting harder and harder to get. Nick, what do you got? Also, Nick, props for the central camera hat, by the way. <laughs> I could, oh, yes, this is, this is an yeah. honor. This hat was named after me by uh, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the marketing expert, um, Brock Kenwell, that we all know <laughs> on the internet. Okay, so I can't find it off quick off the top of my head, but there's a giant uh, Japanese uh, leaf shutter. Oh. I'm not sure it'll cover 58 millimeters, but I'll check when I get a chance. Okay. I have a broken one, like doesn't work, but it's similar to the really big Ilex shutters and okay. fairly inexpensive from Japan. Um, and but they go on the back and they'll add thickness and all that, so it might not work for you. Right. Um, and it just depends on how weight to mention it. before I forget. Before I forget, Eric, um, you need to go out as soon as possible into the library or whatever and get a book called The Age of Wonder. And it's by Richard Holmes, who's a British poetry critic. Okay. He suddenly wrote a book about the history of science. And there is, it covers five different kind of amazing uh, people who discovered things in 18th century. Um, but William Herschel in particular is who I want you to read that chapter. Okay. William Herschel was a, an early astronomer who built his own telescopes and the descriptions of how he built and then operated these and discovered the existence of galaxies. It's just mind blowing. It's wonderful. It's, it's, he was a musician and he sort of played these things like a cello and nice. brought the, the distant galaxies into focus for the first time. That's it's, awesome. It's wonderful reading. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Also, side note for, for the listeners out there, uh, speaking of books, primitive photography. I'll say it again and again and again. That guy, whom I desperately want to find for the Large Front Photography Podcast, he's a total, like, anti, from what I can tell, like, off the grid, not really down with technology kind of guy, which is why he wrote the book. Um, but it has actionable designs for building large format cameras, for building large format film holders, 8x10, by the way, I believe at least I want to say three different lens designs, how to build them. Um, and also how to make your own salt print paper negatives. His whole premise was digital photography is coming and it's going to wipe out the, the traditional photography industry. How do I keep making images when there's no commercial backing? I'm going to do it myself. And that's the entire premise of the book, but for like lens designs and math behind the lens designs and like how to build your own camera, all sorts of stuff. It's it's like a Bible. It's it's great. Yeah. He was a it's little very, bit very practical. Yeah, yeah, like foam core construction stuff. Like you know, although finding the lens elements for his lenses is not easy, um, but you can just do your own math for your own lenses. Yeah, it's a great book. 
Highly recommended. Five five stars. Highly recommended. <laughs> that one. Yep. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that's that's the, the the old home place project lens. Yeah. Um, I'm so, just waiting on a box to come, and then I'm gonna like burn finish propane burn finish the box because I'm a nerd, and then I'm gonna box it up and send it to her. Cool. Uh, so is there is there anything else coming down the pike from your uh, your twisted mind that you would like to talk about? Um, I have uh, there's a the only the first triplet I made and only only triplet I ever made uh, maybe four years ago. Big chunks of glass. That was another total mistake. Like I was gonna I figured out I'll try to make a triplet with a double with a double concave middle negative aperture like the whole shoot match um i've got, I've got uh, some of those in my bag yeah yeah she shakes around in front of me and so i ordered i did some math and i think i got the math right and i i, I looked for focal lengths from the circle shed and i and i ordered the lenses and i looked for focal lengths and like fairly close diameters and i got them and i didn't realize that the app that the diameters i'd ordered i didn't really pay much attention besides that they all sort of generally matched with gigantic they're like 63 millimeter diameter lenses like they're fucking huge and i got them in the mail and i'm like oh shit what am i gonna do with these things at that point in time i was just i was still rolling with paper and like the dollar bills do not handle that especially yeah. that length to make a triplet like the dollar bills will not do this so i ended up using just like and I hadn't found black file folders yet. So I just ended up using like just tan file folder paper and foam to make this crazy triplet. Um, and I didn't, I shot it with four by five and I wasn't, didn't necessarily really like it that much. And then I gave it to a buddy of mine, Vince, the guy I was at his place at yesterday. And he shot some nice portraits with it on his eight by 10. So um, I remeasured it yesterday while I was at his house. And I've got this like, this giant chunk of of maple um so i'm i'm dead set i'm going to turn this which is about 100 millimeters in diameter which gives me like 20 millimeters of thickness on other sides so it's a nice there'll be some nice thick walls i'll hopefully be film industrial so i'm going to hopefully turn this into a, a triplet lens barrel and revisit that triplet the first triplet ever the only triplet i've ever made um and make it into something that isn't like totally janky file folder lens um, which will be a fun challenge to figure out like how to how to drill out and turn like a chunk of wood like this into something that will hold three distinct lenses with the waterhouse aperture. Nick. May I suggest that you make three cylinders? <laughs> well, maybe. Then the challenge is, is like mating them together in a way where they don't fall apart later. Why right? not? Like hey. One piece. There's a tool, there's a there's a tool called a router. <laughs> well, yes. And the little um, trim routers are not terribly expensive. Okay. Um, and there's a thing might, called a router table that makes them easy to use. Yes, but those get a little more expensive. We have a router. We don't have a router table. No, I'm still operating on. You make yourself. It's just a. It's a piece of wood with a hole in it. <laughs> fair, fair. I router might, table. Okay, it's might... easy. One part table, one part router. <laughs> What's there not to get? True. <laughs> Legs. Fair. We might do that. We might do that. We have some spare. Just we have some spare. Get a table uh... and drill a hole in it. <laughs> now you have a router table. <laughs> and mount a router to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. I might do that. Um, 
It is actually a really, really useful tool because yes. you can then use crude tools for everything else and then simply refine them with the router. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a, it's like the way you can do so much with a drill press. It's, yeah. it's kind of a, it's not the fast, speedy production thing, but it does allow a lot of precision. Right. So you can right. rough things out with a cheap, you know, hand tool and then make it precise. With yeah. It. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, Nick is an extremely highly accomplished metalsmith and like fabricator of the physical things like himself. Like that is, he runs a pretty sizable shop slash business doing this for art and for other sorts of things. So, whereas I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So Nick is like generally an expert in exactly what he is talking about. Except, except for I tend to do things the old way. I'm not an expert in high tech. So Ethan and I are like the two sides of uh, yeah. how to get to the same place. Yeah. Yeah. But professionally where I'm just like stumbling so around, I, I did, bashing my head against the wall going, ow. <laughs> oh, I, look did, at that. I did find this giant Japanese shutter and I just measured in its actual throat is 58 uh, millimeters, oh, but the, it looks like the shutter doesn't open quite as big as that. It looks okay. more like 50, 52. Well, that's, that's generally fine but because the, the maximum, yeah, the maximum size, like in the center, what I ended up doing is about, um, an inch and a half, basically an inch and a quarter, I want to say. So, right. so as long as the, the shutter opening is larger than the smallest opening in the lens and it won't force a vignette by being behind it. Right. Then that's probably fine. Mm -hmm. Although with that, with that throat so size, I could, I could literally have used that lens with these elements and just like fit the, the elements onto either side of the uh, either side of the shutter because that's like pretty much exactly the, the so diameter of these lenses a, a future possible option um but yeah. it's also got the thickness of fair amount yeah remember, that's the thing the threads are some you know who knows the threads are some who knows what i haven't even checked yeah. but that doesn't matter if you're working with wood because you can just you know sort of screw it in there yeah and and a 50 <laughs> millimeter aperture on a 150 lens is an f3 which is a pretty wide open lens. Yeah, yeah. The 180 is an f4.5. Yeah. Again, right. So, it's it's pretty wide so open. So these these are common on eBay from Japan. Um, this one didn't work when it arrived, mm -hmm. and so the person just refunded the money. And then I tried to fix it since it was free. Uh, he didn't want it back, and uh, I I made it even worse than before. So. <laughs> So you know, for practice. for all of us out here, what is the name? What is the make of that shutter? Like, what is it? It's it's a Chanel Five A, and the Chanel Five A is just a shutter. They also make another version that has an aperture built in as well. And so it's, what is the this is spell Chanel? S H A N S H A N E L, and it's from Musashino uh, Mus Koki. Uh, and it's a, it's got, it's got M and X sync for flash. It's B and one through one second through 100. And the uh, A model is the one with it, no aperture, right? Yep. Yeah. And then there's a B, I believe it has the aperture. For, um, yeah. And you're right. You can and, buy, you can buy complete can lenses with these things. They're super cheap. $120 right. with the lens. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And yeah. They're very simple and they seem pretty well made. I just ruined this one. <laughs> cool. I'm gonna have to, I'll have to throw this Wayne's way. Again, my only concern is when you put that much distance in front of the back element, it has a high, high chance of vignetting. I have learned from painful experience. Well, I built a few of my camera may, your camera may be too uh, deep. 
as well. That's yeah, the other yeah, issue I run into. Yeah. I've made a few of my lenses onto like couple zeros and ones and rapidly because you can get um, different adapters to thread like this onto the front of a couple zero. But when you space that out, yeah, the, so you um, end up having to take the element and try to figure out a way to place it behind the shutter and affixing it in such a way as that's not going to fall out or fall into the shutter itself. It gets kind of interesting, but that's how you get rid of that, that massive vignetting caused by having the shutter behind the lens. Um, yep. Fuji used these lenses on a 210 4.5, which means uh, just by doing the math, it's a 55 uh, millimeter diameter maximum on, mm -hmm. on that. So that's a pretty big, that is a pretty big opening. Not messing around, man. Yeah. You know, so, so, so Ilex, I think an Ilex number four is in the same ballpark. Um, and they are not super expensive and they're available in around this country. Ilex number four. And there are um, people who make adapters fit to them, but you don't need that. If you, if you put a 90 millimeter element on that, you'd have a 90 millimeter F 1.8 mm -hmm. for you know, that might cover eight by 10. Think about, think about the, the depth of field on that. Um, yeah. So, so the other thing that is within the realm of possibility is to figure out a way to adapt a focal plane shutter from something like a speed graphic. Right. Um, and I have a speed graphic that has nothing left of it, but the focal plane shutter, if you want to try messing with that. Um, yeah, maybe. That would yeah, be- Yeah, because then you would essentially just, just mount that, just put that essentially into the front standard. Right. Yeah, it's a four by five opening. It's yeah, which would be, which would be plenty sizable. Like you could use, you could use a two by three because this is essentially this is a three by three, three inch by three inch standard sort of um, lens, lens board size. Right. I tried. I tried to use a standard lens board size so that if like on Wayne's camera he can use that standard and mount commercial lenses on it. I didn't want to limit him to making his camera bespoke to the lens. I wanted to at least allow him the ability to, to mount commercial lenses on the camera too. Cause if my lens didn't turn out, I wanted to make sure he had options. Right. So, um, and also I should probably go in about six to 10 minutes and, well, and get to the day I, job part. Yeah. Ethan <laughs> and I were just talking about that. So Eric, yeah. um, besides the large format photography podcast, how can people find you? Pretty much on uh, Instagram is my main uh, image. You'll, you'll see lenses, you'll see occasional photographs when I manage to take photographs. And as as you guys have alluded to, bunnies. bunnies. Yeah, we do rabbit rescue. Um, Eric, what so is that Windmills, Instagram man. handle? Uh, Eric, <laughs> my name, actually. I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty stone act simple myself. E R I K H. M-A-T-H-Y. And, okay. And um, let's see, is there anybody you would like to shout out that you haven't already? Anything you want to reiterate? Um, well, obviously, shout out to you all. I mean, I think this community is is great as much as also we like to, I mean, Nick has been a tremendous help uh, brainstorming with a lot of stuff. You've been an inspiration, Graham, and also fun to chat to uh, with you know, hanging out with Ethan during the day when it's slow while he's just like <laughs> grinding away, you know, another screw, Ethan Moses, oh my God. webcast. 
<laughs> you're like you're like the Eeyore, like soldering a wire. Please talk to me. But in seriousness, you three are really—it's really you're really wonderful and and really welcoming, and I think helping uh, this community grow. Um, but then you know the guys Simon and Andrew are fantastic. My my long-suffering fiance who's patiently waiting for her first cup of coffee because the coffee machine's oh, right there. You're brutal. I I am brutal. Sorry, love. <laughs> um, you know, and just all the people who've come before me, and and I think also with this picket project, uh, Wayne um, and Milana for having faith that I could do this and that I could step up to this plate, and I just I genuinely frantically hope that it will meet her expectations and will perform well um so cool cool look we're looking forward to it uh well it's been really nice to be along for the ride too so uh thanks for sharing the development yeah, my pleasure and, and for folks out there i wanted to tell you like if, if you think what i'm doing is interesting like i am literally not a rocket scientist i am i, I don't have a degree in any of this like if, if what i do seems interesting i guarantee you that you can do this yeah. and you can probably do it you can absolutely do it as well as and probably better than i am right 100 percent, no question so if you think this sort of stuff is interesting, just, just, you can feel free to ping me anytime. I'll give you whatever knowledge I know, but just, you know, just start at it because for sure you are capable of this. And um, on the YouTube um, feed, I dropped the, uh, the link to the Google uh, math, you know, the, the Google mm -hmm. spreadsheet that has the math for this. Um, I will also, um, post it uh, um, in the show notes for the podcast version. Um, so, uh, Nick, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, Instagram, uh, A-V-Y-N-I-C-K, and Flickr is where I post more experimental and you know, more detail, and that's Nick Lyle, L-Y-L-E. And also, and uh, that's Nick... Really... Oh, you... go ahead. On. I was going to say also Nick at homemadecamera.com. Oh, right. Yeah. For sending messages. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That. <laughs> um, Ethan is Ethan at cameradactyl. No, cameradactyl at Gmail. No, it is, <laughs> it is um, Bronco Pan at um, just uh, come down to and uh, make a right on Zuni. I'll see you here. In there we go. It's 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 Eeyore at Eeyore. <laughs> That's right. All right, and I did I did have a I did have a, a sort of a shout oh, yeah, out. Yeah. It's a comment. So I I heard earlier that uh, someone's someone out in the internet uh, podcasting world was complaining that the homemade camera podcast was meant to be about making cameras, not about shooting them. And I disagree. This is a podcast about homemade cameras, not necessarily about making them, but also about using them. And also asking us to avoid that topic would be like telling the R&D department that they can't use the cameras they make. It would be so That's funny. right. So, so, and also- That's my comment. Also, Nick, when did you and I get together and decide to do this? Was that part of our manifesto? 
I don't think so. <laughs> so <laughs> no, we basically wrote we wrote a manifesto that included every conceivable topic. You have a manifesto? Damn. Yes. That's, that's yes. Insane. You have to go back to the very zero. first episode or two. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So zero. Um, I want to do a quick shout out once again, Fred at, uh, not, this is not an email, but Fred at the surplus shed, yeah, um, com. uh, if without him, we probably would not be having this show. He's so uh, nice too. More difficult. Um, the, um, you know, and yeah. Okay. I, I'll, I'll quit with that. Um, I am Graham homemade camera on Instagram and I have a second feed that I've been doing all of my non-objective photography that has gotten me through the tail end of the, uh, of the COVID, COVID nightmare. Let's hope the tail end. Um, and that is down the fidelity curve on Instagram. Um, uh, Pinhole Dom also is uh, lens underscore punk, who also um, kind of spurred on today's show. So uh, thanks to everybody, um, and we shall see and talk to you next time when we'll have another guest. I yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. That was fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming thanks on. For coming on. We've, been, yeah. we've been planning this for a while. I'm glad we finally pulled the trigger. Okay. Credit. Thanks. Oh, and thank you, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie. Yeah, Robbie. we actually have